3: With deep jawbreaker eyes Red rope hair gum drop lips Cotton candy thighs you my campaign
1: Welcome everybody to podcast number 20
0: It's May, and you know what that means Communism May 1st is International Workers' Day, and May 5th is Karl Marx's birthday, so we thought we'd have some selections both pro and con commie tonight. And what do you need when you have communism? Lots of alcohol, of course. That's why we accompany each red selection with old beer jingles to take the curse off. We also have a discussion of our favorite watering holes, and an interview with the great Joe Giles, one of the recurring zombies from the Walking Dead TV series. Then there's an expose on the amazing and avant
1: garde Ken Nordine, voice artist extraordinaire. Throw in a scholastic book excerpt
0: and some other stuff, and you have our show. So, this is Jimmy Sweets. And this is Uncle Frank. Let's begin with the techno Soviet anthem. Mm-hmm. Ken Nordine. Many of you out there know his name, and many more can recognize his rich, rumbling voice. Although most of his career has been spent in Chicago, that voice has been heard across the country. Whether it's on radio or television, or on a movie trailer on the big screen, most of us have heard his voice. I first heard it on a Thrifties commercial back in the 70s. For those, he used this distinctive style of having a conversation with a disembodied voice, but that voice was his own, like a conversation in his head, but that's just one of the experiments in audio that he did. Tonight, we're going to explore that talented man a little bit, and to listen to a smattering of his odd and wonderful work. We begin with two pieces, to either refresh your memory, or introduce you to Mr. Nardine. Lavender
4: is an old, 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 old lady Lavender is, aren't you? I thought you were. Lady Lavender in the indigo house by the purple wood, cobwebbed by spiders. In magic magenta, lavender, keeper of dark corners, and black blue blood, lady of the soft edges. Tell us all, or tell me, where day goes with night, and what they do there, and what it means The questions fall on your lavender lap And your answer is A lavender laugh In a lavender cry Near a lavender what? By a lavender why? Curiosity comes to see me every now and then good friend. Well, what do you talk about? Oh, it can be anything. <laughs> like what? Well, The other day, curiosity came by and we got to talking about a guy who used to play around with numbers. Who was it? Leonardo. Da Vinci? No, uh, Leonardo Fibonacci. How long ago was that? Well, back in medieval times. Uh-huh. See, what the Fibonacci would do is pretty simple. He started with one And adding one to itself, he got two. Yeah, that is pretty simple. Ah, but then he had one next to one, next to two, so he said to himself, I'll take the last two numbers in the list, you know, the one next to the two. One next to the two. And that would give him three. Oh. And then the three next to the two would give him five. Five, yeah. The five next to the three would give him eight. Eight. And kept playing with the numbers. Thirteen, twenty-one, (laughs) thirty-four, fifty-five, (laughs)
5: eighty-nine. Sounds like a waste of time.
4: (laughs) Well, that's what I thought, that he didn't have anything better to do. But it turns out that the curiosity that had him playing with this kind of adding up of numbers, what's now remembered as the Fibonacci numbers, turns out to have a curious and and very surprising relationship to botany and classical art. How so? I don't know why, but there seems to be examples of Fibonacci numbers all over the place in nature. Like what? Well, like the spirals of the tiny florets found in the core of daisy blossoms. You're kidding. No. There are sets of clockwise, counterclockwise spirals, each set a predetermined number of spirals. In daisies? Yeah. In daisies. 21 clockwise, 34 counterclockwise. And that 21-34 ratio is made up of two adjacent Fibonacci numbers. Amazing. The leaves on several trees. Even the bumps on pineapples bear an 8 to 13 ratio. I think he knew what he was getting into? Yeah, I don't know. Sure made me curious. You know what I was wondering? What? If he could do something with Lotto. Lotto? Yeah, Lotto lessons. Help pick winners. <laughs> this week's Fibonacci winner will be one, two, three, five, eight. Let me write this down.
0: The first one we played for you, Lavender, came out of a commercial that he did. He was commissioned by the Fuller Paint Company to write and perform ads about paint color, and that he did, ten of them. And they were received very well, but eventually they were off the air. And Ken Nordine decided to write more color pieces, and he put them all on an album in 1966, and he called it, what else, colors. The second one is a good example of what I was talking about earlier, the sort of talking to himself. It's also an example of the man's varied interests. Mr. Nordine was born in Cherokee, Iowa in 1920. The town's population sign read 5,000 at the time, but they were counting the 3,000 inmates at the Cherokee Mental Health Institute as well. Kent was meant for bigger things, though, and his family moved to Chicago when he was only three and a half. The Nordine family was very musical, and so it wasn't very surprising that later... Ken went to Lane Tech High School because they had the best orchestras there. He also took private violin lessons. For a while, he thought seriously about a music career, but he went into radio because it seemed like it was more fun, and he had an aptitude for it. When he would talk to people over the phone, they'd always tell him, you ought to get into radio because you have a great voice for it. And he loved radio. He always listened to it growing up, and he really admired the radio voices. Orson Welles' Mercury Theater was a particular favorite. He loved the whole audio world, where you could close your eyes and really be in it, and there was nothing visual to dissuade you from what you were hearing. Nordine went on to study at the University of Chicago, and there he formed a radio club where he and his fellow members would practice, experiment, and explore the medium. His first real radio job, though, was at WBEZ. The BE stood for Board of Education. It was only on the air for two hours a week, and then it only played at public schools, but it was a start. Ken soon used the station's stationery to apply for an announcer job at WBCM, Bay City, Michigan. He got that job and got busy honing his craft. He learned a lot, including not flubbing his lines on the news. Soon enough, he was fired, though. The station was angered by a contest Nordine had— He played two records at once, and whoever called up first knowing which records were playing won two tickets to the Bijou Theater. The cacophony going on over the air was not appreciated. Before he left the station, though, he sent out three applications, on WBCM stationery, of course, to three radio stations and an acetate recording of his voice to each as well. One station was in Hawaii, another in Colorado, and a third in Florida. He received job offers from all three, but he picked Florida because it was the closest. So he found an old guy that wanted to drive down to Jacksonville, drove the guy there in the guy's car, and then hitched to West Palm Beach, where Nordine worked at the night shift. One of his early shows there was called 8695. It was the phone number at the local exterminator. Nordine made up these characters for the show, like Rigger or Rectoral Atemis. These were all pests that would cause trouble. One character, for example, Terence Termite, would be eating on a piano leg while the piano played Chopin. The radio audience heard this chomp, 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 then there'd be this crash of a collapsing piano, and Nordine would tell everybody to get in touch with 8695 right away. Nordine also would put sounds on after the Star Spangled Banner at the sign-off time. There'd be like cooing doves or a creaking door. He had a lot of fun at all the different stations he worked at. But eventually he moved back to Chicago, and that's where his career really took off. He did lots of announcing and narrating, and occasionally acted in radio dramas. He was on Lights Out, for instance, and announced on Incredible But True. You've heard that here a few times on our podcast. Then there was Jack Armstrong, The All-American Boy, and The Adventures Club, to name just a few. During this time, he was using a lot of aliases, like Michael Scott for Michael Scott Presents, and Ken Conrad, and Eric Lander. Nordine said he started to feel a little schizophrenic. All these in his commercial jobs made him a good living, but they weren't always that creative. So he did other things on his off hours to fill that void. One of these projects became what later was known as Word Jazz. Ken knew these two guys, Johnny Frigo, a jazz violinist, composer, who worked with Chico Marx, and Dick Marx, a pianist who also wrote jingles and later film scores, they both knew Ken Nordine from doing commercials with him. Ken began joining them on Mondays and Tuesdays at this club in the north side called Lea Holoha. The rest of the week the club had Hawaiian music, but on Mondays and Tuesdays it was jazz. Nordine would sometimes recite poetry to the music when no one was singing. Eventually he made up his own material. Some of this stuff he later recorded with a man called Jim Cunnington, who had a basement studio in Hyde Park. Then came some luck. In 1955, he got a dialogue job for a record called Whispering Sands with Billy Vaughn and his orchestra, and it became a big hit, a big hit for Dot Records. Afterwards, they came to Nordin and said, What else have you got? We'll release it. Well, Nordine had the Highland Park stuff, and so the first Word Jazz album was born. The record became very successful, so much so that Fred Astaire gave him a call. Well, actually, his choreographer Hermes Pan did. He wanted Ken to come to LA and do a piece, My Baby, while Fred Astaire danced on television. We have the recording for that show for you, but first we'll listen to another Nordine project, a song Ken did as Ken Nordeen and his kinsmen in
4: 1958.
6: Hatsaki. Hot Hatsaki! <laughs>
7: gentleman by the name of Ken Nordine has invented a new type of contemporary beat called word jazz. He's had several very successful albums and I've prevailed upon Ken to come here and narrate one of his selections for us. This one is entitled My Baby.
4: Wants to know that I love my baby and my baby loves me. A short time ago, we went out together to a place called Far Out, Upper Limbo. The rhythm was there. my baby's hand she gave me a little squeeze i knew we were in the same key Everything was beginning to swing in a quiet cool warm way my baby didn't say anything just looked at me with that special look my baby has i look back with that special look i get when my baby looks at me with that special look she gets i couldn't help myself love for sure I picked my baby up danced over to the stage and I told the leader leader this is my baby he just said crazy my baby gave him a special look like she does he could see my baby had eyes to swing so we adjusted the mic and simply said in his complicated way of chorus My baby's shy, so I gave it the first try.
2: two
4: glasses of warm milk please
0: The baby talk at the end was done by Ken Nordine's son, Kevin, for the album. He was two and a half at the time. Now here's another track from the first Word Jazz album.
4: There was this guy who was a regular guy who lived a regular life. Got up 7.30 every morning. The same breakfast kissed the same wife goodbye every morning went to the same office came home this he did monday through friday on saturdays he played with the children did handiwork around the house sundays he took the family out in the station wagon to the suburbs and there they looked at the houses and the trees the billboards the gasoline stations and the railroad crossings and his life might have gone on like this forever Except one night, something strange happened to him. You see, he went to bed at 10.30, and some of his friends stayed up later, and one of them, closing up a place that closed at 2 in the morning, decided to call this regular liver, and said, what time is it, on the telephone? Well, he woke up, and he said, who's this? Who's this? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. It's no time to call. Bye. The practical joker called
6: every night two o'clock in the morning.
4: He did this for two weeks. friend cajoled, said, Who is it? Stop. Finally, after two weeks, the practical joker lost interest in the joke and did stop. Then came two o'clock, and the phone didn't ring. So he woke up. Why isn't the phone ringing? He discovered that the only way that he could go back to sleep was to say, what time is it? Look at his watch and say two o'clock. Then he could sleep. He did this a couple of nights until he began to think, it's two o'clock where I am. What time is it in New York? Or in Hollywood? Or in London? Or in Hong Kong? In Cairo? He didn't know. The next day he went out and he bought himself some clocks he got clocks from all over and he put them all over the walls and the time was there he knew what time it was everywhere that counted and this made him feel comfortable he became so interested in time that he got little egg timers and gave them away as presents he read about time in in books sidereal time Time way out in the universe, he knew what time it was on Arcturus and the Pleiades in the Milky Way. One night, though, at two o'clock in the morning, the light wouldn't go on. The fuse had blown. But suddenly he realized he knew what time it was without even looking. Not only in the important cities of this world, but in the entire universe. And naturally, he began to brag a little the next day. He told people I know what time it is. And they tested him. And he did know. The administration had changed at this particular time, and they wanted to save money. So they got rid of all their astronomers, all their telescopes, their weights and measures. And they put this man in Washington in a little room where he sits to this day, simply saying, Beep. The time now
0: is... As you can imagine, this was all a very big deal for Ken Nordine. The man was at the peak of his notoriety. He put out four more albums with Dot Records between 1958 and 1960. And he was all over popular culture. Jim Hansen used his piece Hunger for a bit with Sam and Friends in 1958. By the mid-60s, Nordine was one of the most sought-after commercial announcers in the country. That's when the Fuller Paint Company got a hold of him and Ken did his Colors album in 1967. I think we've reached the point now when we should hear from the man himself. Here's a short interview he did in his 90th year
5: at a studio on the third floor of his home in Chicago. And what's in here? Here's the, uh, the control room for the studio where we have well, the amazing thing. This was, was in its day the highest form of the art. This is a... Wonderful console. We have twenty-four track, sixteen track. Now the the whole thing has, in, in essence, been replaced with a couple of computers. That's you can't fight progress. <laughs> Many recordings were done here. A lot of them very, very talented people. Tom Waits was here. Uh, Jerry Garcia played here. They'd say, "What? Do, what are we going to do?" And I said, "Well, you get something going. Get a groove going." And uh, you'll know, and I'll know when you know when it's happening. Then I'll jump on top of it, and we'll go from there. I don't know about you, but me, I love the groove. Yeah. yeah. Does in fact, we did that out in, at uh, really in in San Rafael in the Grateful Dead studios out there the power to with sleep, uh, Dan Healy on the knobs. Uh, see, he was there, Howard Levy went out with me. We did the whole album in uh, one day. No Just ret- that way? No retakes. I got along very well with uh, Jerry. So,
0: what would a typical session up here be like as you were creating a particular piece for word jazz?
5: Well, I'd be in that little booth there. You see it? Yeah, right through the glass. Yeah, that little booth with a microphone and, and earphones so I could hear what's happening here and I could uh, talk to uh, the control room. I could see what they were doing and I would tell the musicians well, let's say I was gonna Dear talk about spider. spiders I'd uh, tell them I want the, the um, spidery heaven piano, heaven. piano player to give the effect well, of course, he was using synthesized sound too, the effect of the spider moving. And someone else could be the net, someone else could be um, the sly, and so we'd, we'd create, on an, in an abstract, free form whatever they thought of, and they could hear what I was doing, so it was a rapport situation. It was. Flies, in a sense, into cruel, word jazz, where the structure with comes from the basis running. of what you're thinking about. Go Dracula stark and quick, eat up tasty, lost nads in the dark. It began because I memorized a lot of poetry. I memorized the Rubaiyat, the whole thing, Kayam. I memorized a lot of work by T.S. Eliot. And I'd, I'd go to a little joint when Johnny Frigo was still alive and he played with uh, Richard Marks, uh, Dick Marks, Richard Marks' father who's all through gone. And I would sit in and, and recite poems to their playing. It was the piano and bass. It was fine except the same people came every week so I couldn't recite the same poem over and over again. So I'd make something up, you know. i have a few pops and I'd go, hey, I can do something. In that. That's
4: how down the drain begins, when you slide down the drain. Somehow you make your way through the plumbing miraculously, through the twists and the turns, and you come out in the Caribbean doing the backstroke beautifully toward the Virgin Islands, and you come ashore like a canoe.
5: This is yesterday, if it ever was. This has all the things I did during my career. Here are things that were done in London for the... Royal Festival Hall. I did with Laurie Anderson. And these
1: are all old ad campaigns that you did voiceover work. Yep,
5: for. a lot of those. There's the Metropolitan Structures.
4: Music. Come on, old trademark. Time for your walk. Where will you take me? Sure wish you could talk. I know what you tell me. How your family began with the same Levi's blue jeans worn by this man. It's new software it's new hardware it's the next generation of the most successful video tool of all time a whole new video toaster it'll be the end of blah 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 television (laughs) the video toaster 4000
5: it's very difficult to uh... illustrate thought you know you you, you take a word like ebullient which is a lovely word the uh, it means crazy happy well how do you describe that visually so I, I I get together something in here and I I look in this thing and find myself a, a program that I use which I'm not going to go into now but that allows me to play with the pixels so that I can find uh, a mathematical iteration in uh, that will go with what I'm thinking of Give me something that is that aids and abets on a, on a visual level that isn't uh, obvious, like it'd be beautiful for a forest, I suppose, but this way I'd have to go out and f- film a forest. Here I can create abstract images that go, I think, perfectly with what I want to do. You're as active as ever, you're creating still. What is it that keeps you going? Uh, patient, beautiful wife, no stress. I, uh, I have, uh, my ego is under control. I, I, I know there's so much to prove that I'll never be able to prove any of it. And I hate boredom, so... Uh, by fooling around with the things that I do. I, I have so many projects, I can't die. I'll be
4: too busy. I now bequeath my stuff to each according to his need. Just watch out for old King Greed. Go call for help, it's always near. Eternal lawyers. They love to hear such reading as wills are made on like legal flies are glad to buzz about what's left.
0: Ken Nordine continued on into the 70s with his commercial work and other projects. He was even involved in The Exorcist movie, in the special sound effects department, and as a voice coach for Linda Blair. We'll play a few commercial clips for you later, but first I'd like to jump ahead to 1991 and play a piece from one of those collaborations Nordine was talking about. Here's him with Tom Waits, on the Devout Catalyst album, doing Thousand Bing Bangs.
8: She drove a big old Lincoln with suicide doors and a sewing machine in the back.
4: Thousand bing-bangs near the end, nothing was ever what it was. And a light bulb that looked like an alligator egg was mounted up front on the hood. Had myself a kind of brainstorm, took a tablespoon of buzz.
8: And she had a tattoo gun that she made herself from a cassette motor and a guitar string. X-ray eyes can see right through me. Naked thought. Put on your clothes. She always had leaves in her hair.
4: You hear that funny laughing? Just the call of ancient crows. She cut
8: two holes in the back of her dress because she had these scapula wings. Somewhere near the raveled edges. By the pool of think And they were covered with feathers And electrical
4: tape And when she got good and drunk She would sing Once again the notion hits me Half is quite a bit of wit
8: About Elkhart, Indiana
4: Where the wind is tall And folks mind their own business Power up that upper story Ten percent is all you use.
8: She had a hundred old baseballs that she'd taken from kids. She collected
4: bones of all kinds. Take a flight of simple fancy. You're the one who has to choose.
8: And she lived in a trailer under a bridge. And she made her own whiskey and
4: gave cigarettes to kids. Okay, all right for you. Look into the tiger's eye.
8: She'd been struck by lightning seven or eight times, and she
4: hated the mention of rain. See, if you can see the desert or a drink, my throat is dry.
8: She made up her own language, and she wore rubber
4: boots could fix anything with string. Poetry ain't gonna catch me. Climb up this high plateau. And her
8: lips were like cherries. And she was stronger than any man. And she smelled
4: like nutmeg and piss. Finish up what you were thinking. Just a day or so ago.
8: she put mud on a bee sting i got at the creek and she gave me my very first kiss
4: mm-hmm. illustrate for visionaries go by a You old devil I swear you can talk Go get your necktie It's time for your walk Where will you take me? Guess God only knows Somewhere inside of Where yesterday goes We're both getting closer The farther we go Deep in the shallow of what do we know? Feels like forever. This instant we're in must be right next to where endings begin. We go where we go, again and again, and nobody knows where of our when. Sort of a secret, instinctively shared. I'm telling you, I thought maybe you cared. It's only a walk, a short one at that, that Scratch and I take. Who knows where we're at? He and his sniffing, and me and my rhyme, walking the edges of Where Goes the Time. Angel or demon, come fly by my side. Take me wherever my naked can hide. Come see the wind blow, the falling down leaf. Take me where laughter is louder than grief. Scratch, you old devil. I swear you can talk. Go get your necktie time for your walk. Where will you take me? Yes, God only knows. Somewhere inside of where yesterday goes.
0: That second piece we just heard was Scratch from a 1979 album, Stare With Your Ears. It's about Ken Nordine taking his dog for a walk, and now we go back to the '70s for a small sample of Ken Nordine's commercials.
4: Move,
3: make them move.
4: How do you follow a great car with a great car? With Chrysler 1970. Chrysler 1970, your next car, the car built for the age of motion, the car that moves you in style and comfort and luxury, the car that comes from a long line of engineering greats now so beautifully conceived, the more you see it, the more you want it. was tall and had eyes that could look right to the bottom of you. We might have welcomed him except for one thing. His pants. They weren't dull like ours, and this troubled us. Stranger, how is it your pants have colors and flared legs? He just smiled and said, I'm wearing Levi's. Dull has gone out of style. Then in his strange way, he transported us to a world of Levi's slacks and jeans, tweeds, cords, flares with day polyester it was magic push jeans blue jeans bells beautiful levi's magic coveralls knickers and knits and we cried for more no i must go to other towns he said and he left left us with our new levi's yes we'll miss that stranger but you know life will never be dull in our town again by the way how are things in your town In our world of endless imagination, anything can happen. And those of you who wear Levi's jeans know what I'm talking about. Because anywhere our minds can go, we can follow too. Go ahead, chase a dream in Levi's jeans. Hardy had a party when he was nine, which isn't bad. In fact, it's fine, except he asked nine groovy swine to come for Ridiculous. birthday cake and wine at 10 past nine, which isn't bad. In fact, it's fine, except his mom, sweet Adeline, who left the house at one past nine to go to work at Smith and Klein, just hated swine to drink her wine. Even on a day so fine as Bumble's birthday number nine, So, he simply didn't tell her. At nine past nine, the piggy swine broke down the door and guzzled wine and hogged nine cakes and oinked nine grunts and pulled nine kinds of dirty stunts. The house looked like a stinking sty. And Bumble Artie had to cry when all nine swine squealed, Cheers, cheers, cheers!
3: May Bumble live 900
4: years! Which isn't bad. In fact, it's swine, except just then sweet Adeline, who finished work at half past nine and hurried home so she could dine with Bumble on his birthday nine, and found instead nine swilling swine, began to shriek and shake and whine.
6: I'll give you pigs till number nine to split. Get lost! Bamoose! Just scram, or else I'll slice you into ham. <laughs>
4: Nine times, the door slammed. Then again. How odd, thought Adeline, that's ten. And then, a voice cried, meek and humble.
2: Please let me in. It's your boy, Bumble.
4: So Adeline, that mom divine, took in her Bumble Valentine and kissed him nine times over nine. Which isn't bad. In fact, it's fine.
0: That last piece was actually from Sesame Street. It was an animated story by Morris Sendak in 1970. Ken continued his commercial work all through these last years, also putting out a couple albums each decade and making guest appearances on other people's albums. His latest album, Bits and Pieces of Word Jazz, was self-published in 2012, and his sparkling voice was wonderful as ever. And to top it all off, he's had a radio show all during this time in Chicago. So there you have it, a little bit about a whole lot, the amazing Ken Nordine. I hope we've jogged your memory a little bit tonight, or even better, introduced you to something new. We have one more piece for you now as we close this segment. One of my favorites, Flippery Jib.
4: There was this stranger who came into our town, He was tall and had a dark look about him and a special brilliance was in his eyes. When he looked at us, there was the feeling that he could see right down to the bottom. We may have been mistaken in this, but at the time no questions were asked. The questions always come later. All we cared about was the mystery we sensed in this stranger and we waited to see what would happen. One evening that was different from any other, he got us all together in the big auditorium. He stood there on the huge stage, the only light was on him, and we waited in the dark. Then out of his tallness came the chanting. First, as a whisper, we could hardly hear the flipperty chip on the pippity pop the flippity-chip on the pippity pop It didn't make any sense. We were caught up in something we didn't understand. He had trapped us without our knowing it. Possibly it was his manner. And we came alive to him as he slowly moved us with his chant through the land of hush, into insistent, savage, throbbing crescendos of ecstasy, as if it were the only thing we could do. We started to chant with him the flippity jib bum, the bipperty bop, the flippity jib bum, the bipperty bop. And he was up on a high stage, laughing with all his might, shouting, Yes, yes, yes. But there were those among us who were jealous of his powers who felt they should be in the center of the stage, with the light shining on them. They were against our hero in the chanting and are going to be with him every free moment. And so, little by little, a little later, these critics set to work to make nonsense out of the sense of what we were doing. And they succeeded. They destroyed our hero's faith in himself, He didn't have it anymore. After a few disappointing times, in the big auditorium, the light gone out of him, we all stopped going. And the man who had once seemed so tall and who now seems so much smaller left our town saying no, no, no. We lived through the boredom of the time that followed, telling each other pale stories of what once was and what might have been if. We lived on histories and hopes. We did this until the miracle we never thought would happen again happened. Another stranger came into our town, and he too was tall and dark and had eyes that could look right down into the bottom of you. And he got us all together in the big auditorium. And with the light on him, we were in the dark. He chanted, The flippity jip bum, The bippity bop the flippity jip bum, the bippity bop And we joined in, and the magic was in us. And he was laughing, and all his might was with him. And he was shouting, yes, yes, yes. But there were those among us who were jealous and so forth. You know, you know what they did. Little by little, a little later, they put us back on the narrow path. This is the way things have been in our town for as long as anyone cares to remember. By the way, how are things in your town?
1: And now, pretentious readings
4: from Scholastic Books.
0: Tonight we have a Scholastic retelling of a classic, Robinson Crusoe*. We stood in the cabin looking at one another thinking that our ship would break apart at any minute. We did not know how much longer we had to live. Then our captain said we would try to reach land in our small boats. On our deck we found that one of our boats had a big hole in it where the wind had driven something through it. But the other boat would still float all right. We got it over the side of the ship and all that were left of us got into it. We were not much better off there than we had been on the ship. The waves lifted us high one minute and then dropped us the next. we pull on our oars as hard as we could. For a time, we seemed to be getting nearer the land. Then a wave as high as a house lifted us, and our boat was upset. And before I could so much as cry out, I found myself deep in the water. As I went down, down in the rough water, I thought I had met my end. But I was a very strong swimmer, and I tried to save myself. As soon as my head came out of the water, I caught my breath. Before the next wave broke over me, I saw that I was being carried near the shore. I swam as hard as I could toward the land. Wave after wave lifted me and broke over me, and at last I felt the sand under my feet. When I woke up, the sun was shining. The storm was over, and the wind had stopped, and the sea was still. Much to my surprise, our ship was still above water, and was closer to shore than I had seen it last. The wind and the waves must have carried it to the sandbar near the shore. I made up my mind to try to swim to our ship. I must try to get some things that I needed. Near where I had landed, there was a hill. I took one of the guns and climbed to the top of it. From the high place, I could see a very long way. I did not know whether to be sad or glad about what I saw. I saw at once that I was on a big island. There were no signs of any other people that lived on the island. Far away to the west, I could see two other islands, which looked even smaller than mine. I began thinking of making myself a place to live. I had not seen any other people or wild animals, but that did not mean that there weren't any. At one place in the rock wall there was an opening into a cave. I made my mind up to build my house right in front of the cave. I drew a half circle on the ground before the rock wall, about ten yards out from the rock and twenty yards across. Then I cut down many small trees. I caught off their branches and made them sharp at one end, and I drove them into the ground on the line that I had made. I put them very close together. When they were fast at the ground, they were a little higher than my head. One by one the years went by. Each year I learned more and more. I found that there was no summer or winter on the island. But there was a rainy season and a dry season. I learned not to plant my grain at the beginning of the dry season. I learned not to let the rainy season come upon me with no food put by, for I could not hunt in the rain. I learned that if you put branches from one kind of tree into the ground at the start of the rainy season, they would grow and form a thick, tight fence. I used these trees to make a fence around the fields in which I kept my goats. I made myself a little house of these trees in the valley where the grapes grew. Sometimes I stayed out there for two or three weeks at a time in the dry season. It was in that valley that I had my grain fields. The ground was rich and the grain grew well. One day I went out for a walk along the shore of my island. I looked down and I saw the print of a man's bare foot in the sand. At once I was very much afraid. I stopped and looked all around, but I could see no one. I walked up and down the shore trying to find some other footprints. There was just the one. I came back to look at it again. It was the print of a very large foot. I could see the toes and the heel very well. I knew a man had made it. I was so afraid that I ran for my house. I got inside so fast that I do not know whether I climbed the ladder over my fence or whether I went straight through the hole in the rock. I shut the door in the rock and I took my ladders inside. I did not go to sleep that night at all. I lay there thinking of all kinds of things, and the more I thought, the more afraid I was.
3: Something on my own, so I quit school and went out to look for a job. First, I waited on tables, then, I worked at Woolworths, and then, I emptied bedpans in a hospital. But no matter where I worked, it was all the same, and I got so I just couldn't take it anymore. Well, one day I went home and I found my mom sitting there. She'd been fired by the phone company because they said she was too old, and I saw a book in her lap and I asked her what it was. She said, Baby, that's Capital, Volume One, you know, by Karl Marx. And I said, Huh? And she said, that's right, here, take a look. And I read that book, and now I've come to realize that as long as I have to sell my labor power to the boss, I work for his profit, and not for myself or my fellow humankind. Understanding Marx will straighten out your head More than anything that you have read
5: I had me a nice-looking job, and it paid pretty good, you know? And I got myself a swimming pool, a wide-track Pontiac, even a snowmobile, one of the Jap makes. But the more I spent, the more I'd end up owing, and I had to work overtime at the goddamn job. Well, I'm in the locker room one night after the shift, and the janitor comes in and he says, fellow worker, you look mighty unhappy. And I said, huh? He said, read this, and he gives me a book. So I said, what's this? He says, it's state and revolution. It's by Lenin." Well, I'm not a man who reads many books, but I read that book, and now I know that as long
9: as you sell yourself, you cannot be yourself, and you cannot snowmobile your way down the forest trail to interfere. I graduated magna cum laude, Phi Beta Capital. And I thought I had a responsibility to help out people who didn't know how to help themselves. So I went into the Peace Corps and I taught Nigerians how to fix cars and run hotels. Then I came back home and went to D.C. I told that money for minority businesses. You know, black capitalism. Well, one day some congressman came to see one of my best projects. I couldn't believe my eyes. The workers were on strike. So I said, on here. And they said, prices are high, wages are low, and working conditions are terrible. And I said, but you're working for one of your own kind. And they answered, he's not one of us. Here, read this. It was a little book called On the Correct Handling of Contradictions Among the People by Mao Zedong. I've read a lot of books. When I read that book, well, now... I understand that the only way to bring about social change is to organize a united mass movement based on the class interests of the proletariat. Understanding Marx will straighten out
3: your head more than anything that you have.
10: Time, we've got the beer, Miller beer, Miller tastes too good to hurry through. But when it's time to relax.
4: When you do for a beer, Bush does it. You can't say beer better than Bush. Boy, ain't that the truth?
6: How can they
4: mess with that target advertising? He <laughs> do. Right on target, Fred. When you do for a beer, Bush does it. Oh there's a lot of bush gonna be sold beginning right now fill her up Fred From the land the sky blue water
7: from the land the pines love
4: and a Budweiser and pour yourself the most inviting glass of beer you've ever tasted. Cold, golden Budweiser with that good taste for good times. So go ahead. Live life every golden minute of it. Enjoy Budweiser. Every golden drop of it.
10: Budweiser
4: beer is for folks who know where there's life.
5: Where
10: there's life, there's fun.
7: beer to have when you're having more than one. Shaper pleasure doesn't fade even when your thirst is done. The most rewarding flavor in this man's world for people who are having fun. Shaper is the one beer to have when you're having more than one.
2: the city's vacated Not a single intelligent life there Cause everyone ran scared When the people started eating their friends The streets are infected Full of meat bags just making a lunch run For something to munch on But man, you were strictly human So run while you can Bring a shotgun and a friend Cause the zombies are here to stay scarce now, seems like everyone pirate storms here, cause all of the shelves are near, we have nothing but a couple of grumps, I have been thinking, I would give anything for a twing. all seem to be covered in guns. So run while you can, bring the shotgun and a friend, cause the zombies are here to stay. My girl always told me, To exercise daily Well I hope that she's happy Because I'm in the best shape of my life She's falling apart now She lost two fingers, an arm and a leg Ow. She smells like a dead cow and dog His brains went straight to her thigh so, run bum, bum, while bum, you can. Bum, bum. Bring the shotgun and friend. Cause the zombies are here to stay.
0: I'm here tonight with Joe Giles, a man who's been in the makeup effects business for quite a few years, but he's better known now for his portrayal of Animated Corpses in the a- AMC and blah blah blah. In the AMC series, The Walking Dead.
11: So thanks a lot for talking to us tonight. Yeah, thanks Frank. <laughs> it's, it's good to see you again. I've been fortunate enough to work with Frank for quite a few years now. I don't know how many years now. I, it's 15
0: at least, yeah. maybe, maybe longer. Yeah. But uh, you you got in pretty much at the beginning, wasn't it? The very first episode, the pilot, or
11: yeah, how it worked is um, I was working at KnB Studios, and this was actually before we had gotten the show. Well, we had the show, but before it actually started, we were just kind of prepping for it, and I think it was a little bit of just being in the right place at the right time, and. Um, uh, Kevin Wozner, a key artist at KMB, and Greg Nicotero were discussing, you know, to do a, a test, I guess, to kind of start to establish what the walkers are supposed to look like. And I was just standing there, and Greg asked me if I wanted to be a model for it, and I said, sure. And um, so they did my life cast, and we did kind of a, you know, makeup test on me. Uh, Kevin tried a couple things. And then kind of from there, it, it just stuck. Um, what happened was, is then um, after they did the makeup tests on me, they showed some of the uh, photos to Frank Darabont, and then Greg actually invited me to go down to, I believe it was Stargate Studios in Van Nuys, um, to do some camera tests, you know, to uh, see kind of how the makeup would read in different types of camera and lighting situations, and it was a funny situation is I was in the trailer with Greg and Kevin, and there was a man in there talking to us, and I honestly didn't realize it was Frank Darabont at first. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a really nice man. And um, I, I did the camera tests all day. And uh, he was very excited, like, you know, what he saw with the makeup. And then took a notice to my acting, too. And the kind of just style of how I did it. And then uh, we did more camera tests a couple days later. And, uh, of course, Frank was there again, you know, just trying out different things. And, and Greg was with me and all. And... Um, uh, after the camera tests, um, you know the show kind of went into pre-production and, and Greg was down in Atlanta and then I was working at k one day and got a call from Greg. And as a thank you, Frank wanted to fly me down to be in his first episode. Well, that's and very cool. Yeah. I mean, now, did they know where they were going to put you? Because you ended up being the bus walkers. You know, them. I honestly... I wasn't sure what they were going to do with me. Um, it, it was kind of more just Frank wanted to put you in and then um, so when we did my makeup in the trailer Um, I believe it was um, Garrett Immel applied my makeup and we tried to kind of make it all gory and and change it up from what I had done in the camera test because it was real minimal makeup it was just, you know, shades of color and that kind of stuff and and very minimal transfers Um, but we did the kind of classic Walking Dead, you know, cheek hanging out and stuff and when I went on set Frank actually wanted it to be how I was in the camera test. He goes, no, I actually want it to look like Joe. Did they have you change back then? Yeah. And then I went back into the trailer and we switched me out to be more like, because I guess that's what he got used to seeing. And um, I and then also when I did the camera test, we had a suit at KMB. So I kind of put that on and we bloodied it up and I think he just kind of got used to the way it looked. So I, I was going to
0: ask you who did the costuming but it was just stuff you put together yeah, uh-huh. at the, at and the then, studio. And
11: of course that um, kind of purplish black suit. Yeah. Was, what's that? That was just Wardrobe gave it to me because mm-hmm. he liked the businessman suit. And... Um, And
0: they sort of highlighted you there. You were on the bus, and then you start following them. Yeah. And then you turn up in the next episode, or I forget, were the first two episodes actually the pilot, like
11: a two-hour thing, or what was it? Yeah, so I I was in the first episode, and then um, uh, I got asked to do um, the motion capture work for the series, too. So, I mean, I, physically I'm only on camera for that first episode for season one. I do remember I filmed a couple pickup shots, actually, with Greg and Frank Darabon at a sound studio here for season okay. one. But I wasn't sure what episode that was on.
0: So in, so in the first episode, you're following him, and then you follow him down to where the horse gets attacked uh-huh. and torn apart. That was the first episode, too? I forget. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or, or, whether that, or is that the second one called Guts? I don't know.
11: It ended the yeah the first episode ended where he was in the tank and then he he came out and oh, stared right. at me and that was kind of an interesting shot too because I remember I mean I was kind of nervous because I I'm comfortable in front of camera but it was there was really that many extras there zombies you know so there's a sea of people and there blocking me for the shot, and I'm thinking, this is the last thing I want to do, is hold up everybody. (laughs) I remember Frank was telling me to kind of, like, look up and start kind of growling and stuff, and I remember when they were blocking off my shot, I was just kind of staring up at the camera all creepy, and he goes, no, do that, that's great, you know, and he he got all excited, so that's (laughs) kind of how, you know, that shot ended up, and then... I remember I, when I came back to L.A., I was asked to do all the, the motion capture work for that season, so I got down, I went down to um motion capture studio here, and then um, it was fun because it was pretty much just a day of work, and they said, you know, act like a little girl, act like an old lady, <laughs> pretend you're missing legs, so it was pretty much anything and everything I could think of. So that just, was just for the CG stuff they're gonna uh-huh. have in the background. Yeah, and then... Um, after that, um, in between the seasons, Greg got to um, do his first webisode, and he invited me to be in part of that, and what was kind of interesting is um, he, he let me be the walker that was hiding in the back seat that pretty much made the bicycle girl. I mean, I oh, guess that's okay. a if yeah. you haven't seen it. But, uh, so that was kind of trippy. That was kind of a full circle that thing. That first one, the bus walker,
0: it became kind of, it captured every, uh, people's imagination. I mean, that's the one that McFarlane made a toy out of. Yeah. Was that done right away or was there audience response or what, how
11: did that come to be? Well, uh, you know, honestly, I didn't know about it. And then I was at work and Greg just told me McFarlane wanted to make a toy of you, you know, and I, of course they had to make sure I was okay. And I signed papers. And he showed me um, the concept art for it, and it, it was awesome. And uh, apparently, I'm not quite sure how they got my proportions down. I, I think maybe they did it through the motion capture company. Oh, or I'm like, sure they did. Yeah. yeah.
0: That makes sense.
11: But, I mean, that was cooler. Was than that
0: yet. in first season already or second season? Or yeah, this was kind
11: of when season two was gearing up. up. Okay. That's when they came out with the figures for that. And when, I
0: know you started doing signings everywhere. Was this still in first season or was that
11: later on? Yeah, this was shortly after season one had came on and um, I actually got invited. My hometown was doing a a zombie convention and they asked me to be there. And I was like, it was, you know, it was, it was great to go home. And um, the haunted house that I, I worked for growing up as a kid actually sponsored me. And flew me down there for it, and it, I mean, it was it was great, you know. It was, was that where those ladies? You had that story about those two ladies. Did they meet you there? Yeah, they, um, <laughs> the
0: fans with their fan
11: fiction. Uh huh. Yeah, that, that that was that was a real full circle moment because they actually had like a, a doll they created of me, and they gave me a bunch that of was their, the bus walker. Uh huh. Yeah. A bite, apparently, these ladies um started. um like an online kind of chat room about creating fan fiction of walking dead characters. And they decided to do one of my zombie character. Um, and they named him Milo. (laughs) (laughs) And this was kind of how these ladies, uh, they were amazing. This is how they kind of got to meet each other was, um, through creating fan fiction about my character. And a lot of people like, you know, the bicycle girl and a few of the other zombies started doing a lot of conventions at the time. And I hadn't done anything, but I thought, what the hell? You know, it's it's my hometown, so sure. And I guess they caught when that I was gonna be there and they all flew in to meet me at the convention. That was the first time they had met in person. Oh, you I mean did. all the people in that club? Uh huh. Yeah. That's wild.
0: Yeah, and then they, they guys. presented you with the fan fiction. Uh-huh. Or what? Yeah, and they had me on t shirts <laughs> and
11: stuff, and I was like, Oh, that's I'm not so that much
0: big fun. Cool. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. And then I was looking through your reel, and I see you're in the. Um, what's the other one called? That where you're in the, you're breaking into the car, sticking yeah. your face with the glass. It's, it's, what was that
11: episode? That was. So the, yeah, that was fast forward to uh, season two. And um, as, as before, I, I was in the shop and Greg goes, you know, we have a real interesting walker I'd like you to try out. And he goes, you're, you're going to be blown through a windshield trying to attack Lori. That one is a really cool Yeah, me. and I thought, <laughs> how fun is this? I get to attack, you know, Rick and then Lori. And uh, I honestly didn't know much about, you know, I knew it was going to be pushing my face through the car. Um, so so they they did my makeup and all, and I got on to set and it was actually a real windshield that I had to push through. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They just cracked it and you shoved your face to Well, it? yeah, stunts coated it with, like, a special silicone glass and all that kind of stuff, and um, it was, uh, we filmed it at night. It was in, in a city, you know, down there in Atlanta, and it pretty much just, they said go for it, and yeah, the scene was, is I, I had to pretty much press my face and my, you know, my arm in through there trying to attack her, and... It looked really cool. That's one of the better scenes. And then she dispatches you with a screwdriver. Uh huh. Yeah. And then it was cool. I actually got to film that scene two times because um, we filmed that scene that night. And I, I flew back to LA, and Greg told me that they were very happy with the footage. They wanted to add more pickups. So then they flew me down again just to redo parts of that scene. So that was cool. They kind of recreated the look of the car, you know, on the side. And, um,. And we just kind of added more action to it, and it was funny enough. Um, as I was reaching uh, through the the glass, I actually cut my hand that day. Oh. <laughs> and, they, and I went through the scene. I, I just kind of pushed through it. And uh, like w- when they cut, they're like, "Yeah, we want to do production photos." I'm like, "Oh no, I'm actually bleeding right now. We got to pull me out of this thing." And that's that's where they, that's. Oh, well, you got a scar in yep. your hand. <sharp> yeah, so that's, that's crazy. Of, you know, my reminder from season two, and then. Um, when I was down there, I got to kind of help um, do some pickups from other episodes, um, so that was a whole lot of fun. You did some commercials
0: for the show, or was it for another show? What's that when, well, when the zombies are running and the people duck and you pass
11: them by? Oh, that I- was actually for Universal Halloween Horror. Movies. Oh, okay. So that—that's like you right in the front. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was kind of different. Um, I got to play more kind of like a swampy vampire thing. But uh, com- I actually got to do quite a bit of commercial work for Walking Dead. Um, early last year, I got to do a T-Mobile commercial for it, um, where my I, I play a guy's a kind of zombie best friend, and the whole idea is you can take Walking Dead around. I you. saw that one. Using I didn't your, know that was you. Yeah, using your phone instead of actually having a real zombie, they got to rip my arm off. And then, um, what was it? It was. Um, last year as well I got to do a, a Kentucky Fried Chicken zombie commercial I didn't see that one yeah. was that regional or yeah, that? yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure honestly don't remember I, it was early it's this Yeah. it's looking good yeah and I, I, I thought it was kind of funny because they are like yeah they're doing a zombie KFC commercial and I'm like how does that work out but yeah. it did um, it, it was fun because uh, my buddy um Mike Ross, he's also a mulchup supervisor at KMB. Went down there with me, and he actually applied my makeup. It was kind of a fun scene because the whole idea was that they serve uh, chicken to the behind-the-scenes actors, and the KFC chef lady, as I'm eating it, my zombie makeup pats me on the back, and then my jaw falls off my face. That's cool. So it was all like behind the scenes uh-huh. on the set of the one. Yeah. And then now you've done Fear the Walking Dead. Yeah, that th- okay. So yeah, I, I had my timeline wrong, but I d- actually did that this year. Them commercials were last year. Um, it was in January. I got approached to go down to do uh, Fear the Walking Dead, and I, w- I was real excited because they filmed that in Mexico, and I had oh, cool. I, I haven't had many opportunities to go out of the states. So of course I was all over that. And um, what part of Mexico were you in? It, it's uh, called Rosarito. Oh yeah, the Rosarito Beach, and that. Yeah, it's real pretty there. Yeah, apparently they have um, they have studios down there where they. That's come, where like, the Master Titanic Command. was. Yeah, Titanic and stuff. So I was real excited about that, and um, the walker I got to do for fear was a really fun one. I mean, because it was different. Um, the whole concept is is that uh, I was buried in the sand, being eaten alive by crabs that's cool and uh, of course there, there really wasn't real crabs but um, you know they had a crab kind of body parts around me and then the digital guys um, did it and the whole idea was is that they were scuttling all over me and I'd pick one up and eat it and uh, of course I'm playing pretend because there's nothing there <laughs> Uh, and uh, I remember, you know, I, I did a couple of takes just trying to, you know, how, how in the hell did zombie eat a pretend crab? And, like, in the middle of my two takes, I ended up eating half a pound of sand just because I'm <laughs> smearing it all over my so face. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they buried you in the sand there? Yeah. It was pretty much a 25 a gallon drum and just dug a hole into the sand, and they had me hop into it. And then they all uh, kind of, the, um, I guess set dressers or stunts rigged this kind of like skirt thing around me and then they they covered it with sand. So I was, I mean, I could get out, but for the most part, I was pretty much locked into this thing. How long did you shoot that? Oh, it was about a day. You know, it it wasn't, it wasn't like a typical like 14 hour day, but I'd say it was probably about a good six, seven hours. You were six hours in the barrel? Yeah, I mean, with the break (laughs) in between and then the, um, the, uh, the main character is kind of examining me, and he, you know, he rolls down the hill and, and lands on top of me. And we do this whole kind of drawn out fight scene. That's really cool, and uh you know that that part was fun. And then he ends up killing me. I mean, I don't know how much this should I say. But w- would it be spoilers? Or no? I don't We're, think so because it okay. has it come on. Yeah, yet? yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I just so. don't want to ruin it for your listeners, but. um so then he kills me and I'm laying on top of him and then two other stunt performers zombies roll down the hill and land on top of me. I'm like, oh my, like can this get any crazier? How many times did they do that? Part? Well, and that took about four or five takes, but but then the worst part happened. So after I've been in the sand all day, sand's in pretty much parts of my body I didn't even know existed <laughs> at this point. Um, I'm over top of the main actor, and he stabs one of the, the main zombies, and all this blood pours all over top of him. And um, Dave Dupuy and, and Dave Ducanto um, rigged the guy with his gigantic blood batter, you know, blood yeah. thing rigged. And I'm playing dead over top of this dude, and they stab the blood bag, and it just covers him all over his face, and I'm thinking, oh, that's got to be horrible. Well, the little did I realize, it was like almost a full gallon of blood. It starts filling my little pit of sand that I'm buried <laughs> in,
0: and I could just feel this mixture
11: of blood and sand just filling my underwear and shoes, and I'm like, oh.
0: How many times was
11: that done? Or
0: was that, that was a, a one-take-one-off. Thank goodness. Thank God. But... Yeah, that's crazy, but yeah. that's normal actually. Yeah, yeah. and I saw you—you you did quite a few others. There's one where you're going after a guy tied to a gurney. Was that from season one? Yeah.
11: Well, that was actually um, one of Greg's webisodes. Okay. And um, what was real interesting about that one was—it was, looked it was, as good as the it series. was Kurt Russell's son oh, that, that oh, was on oh. the gurney. And he was a c- cool dude, man. Really great, you know. And um, I liked him a lot. And uh, yeah, I got to play a. a kind of like a security officer zombie guard or whatever And um, uh, I actually got to play another walker for that same web episode too at the very beginning when they're at the campfire I'm the um, walker that kind of comes around the tree at the girl in, the, in the, oh, uh, yeah. at the campfire so he actually ended up killing me twice in that like dude how many times are you going to do me in this which episode which is the one where you have half a face that, right. was, that was um, Greg's first one. Okay. And then I got... Yeah, you got killed all kinds of ones. Oh, yeah. the head. Yeah. And, and then I'm on uh, Greg's, uh, I believe it was cold storage. And I, I get my, uh, my job knocked off by Chris Nelson, which is a fella that <laughs> many of you might not know, but he works in our, our field as well. And he does, you know, acting on the side yeah. too. And uh, so it's kind of interesting having coworkers kill you on camera. But that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, I see you did some other stuff, too. You were in the, the Lords of Salem. Yeah, that that was awesome, because uh, it's That's funny. a Rob Zombie film. Yeah, right? you know, I, I got to work with, with Rob a couple times on and off, all thanks to Wayne Toth. Um, I got to play, a, like, a zombie creature on a stage show for Jimmy Kimmel, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the first time Wayne introduced me to Rob and all, and... Um, you know, I heard that they were doing a movie, Lords of Salem, and Salem, Massachusetts is one of my favorite places in the world. I try every other year, go there for Halloween. My mom just it's, went there last year. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> she had a good time. But yeah, and, uh, um, you know, I, I totally love it, and I, I was just excited to hear, you know, Rob was making a movie about that, and I was here, and um, w- w- Wayne called me up, and he goes, yeah, I, I got a small part I'd like you to do. He's like, unfortunately, it's not in Salem anymore, you know, we're here in L.A., But, um, would you like to be a part of it? And I was like, of course, I'd love to be a part of it. And, um, so they had a small studio set up for, it was the scene where, um, his wife, Sherry is, is kind of in a living room talking to her friend and she looks up and she sees these kind of three demonic surgeons in the room, and they're kind of yeah, like kind of devil surgeon guys or whatever. And I got to play the one in the middle, where I reach over and I take the, the main parent. one. Uh-huh. W- uh huh. Were those masks, or were they makeup appliances? Yeah, like yeah, um, yeah. They they were all masks fabricated by Wayne.
0: And, uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, they looked amazing. And, uh, yeah, We're yeah, taught I'm, as a Halloween town right now, in case anyone doesn't know, and, and all
11: his own studio and everything else. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should totally go check it out, too. It's a year-round Halloween store on Magnolia Boulevard in Burbank. And, uh, but yeah, I was just excited to you know be a part of Rob's movies because I was, I was a fan of one of my favorite Halloween movies is House of Thousand Corpses. And I just, it's kind of one of them weird moments in life for your kid, you know, you work in a haunted house, you'll have that movie and fast forward to like, wow, I'm in one of his movies, like, what
12: the (laughs) hell?
11: Yeah, that's awesome. And
0: then you were, um, well, I know you were the mummy in the, uh,
11: what is it called? The one that Greg Nicotero did? Yeah, he did a a film called the United um, Monster Talent Agency, and the whole idea was that back in the day... um, the classic movie monsters were actually real monsters, and they had agents. And um, the, the Mummy is, is one of my favorite Universal monsters. And, and Greg goes, "Yeah, I would love, love for you to be Karloff as the Mummy," and I was like, "Whoa, what the hell?" He came I out mean, really nice. Yeah, yeah. He just keeps giving me all these dream jobs. You know what? what um, who applied that one on you? Now that that sculpt was Andy Schoenberg, and he actually applied the makeup as well. He's a key artist at uh, KMB as well, and brilliant makeup artist in many years on the walking dead and just, i love his sculptures yeah and he, he actually sculpted me to look like karloff and then the mummy like on top of it and it came out amazing
0: and then there was the this there this is it
11: the what? michael jackson thing what was that because i never saw that product. honestly that was the first um I, I would say professional acting job i was given and um i was at it was like yet again right place Right time. I really have Greg to thank for my acting career because I was working at KMB, and he came up and told me, "He goes, you know, we're going to do some zombies for a thriller remake. Would you like to be one?" I was, you know, my jaw hit the floor. I'm like, "Yeah, sure." You know, I mean, I didn't care what it entailed, what it paid. It didn't matter. It was just like it was a chance to do a zombie for a thriller because that was that was also an inspiration growing up. You know, yeah, the houses either, we we worked out we would watch it and the, they didn't tell me much about the project cuz at the time you know they were trying to keep it real under wraps cuz it was a Michael Jackson thing and it wasn't even called Thriller it was uh, it had some kind of code well, you know you know in the business how they do the code names was
0: this before he was passed away yeah, so okay.
11: so what i slowly learned was is that the whole idea was is we filmed we essentially refilmed the, the Thriller music video for what was going to be his tour in England the this is it tour where was, you know, the whole collection. They'd show it on the big screens and yeah. everything and,
0: and
10: during the, the concert?
11: I, the idea was is, yeah, during the concert, they would show this music video on the big screen, but it'd be 3D. So people in the audience would wear special glasses. I'm not sure how it was going to be set up, whether they wore glasses or whatever. And then the idea was is that the, um, the video would blend into the concert, and then the dancers in the same outfits would come out onto stage. So the whole thing oh, just oh, kind of blended seamless and um, so I, I got to the sound stage and we kept hearing maybe Michael was directing it maybe he wasn't we wasn't too sure and then I got to the sound stage and it was amazing it, it was I mean it was it, the the far background was a big green screen but it I mean it was straight up it was a graveyard mausoleum's the whole work oh and I'm man. like, holy this where of, was this shot at again? this was at it's the sony studios in Culver okay. City yeah the old uh, MGM yeah and it still didn't hit me yet that I'm like oh my god I'm in a Michael Jackson music video and um the fella that applied my makeup was Greg Nelson oh and yeah. he was an old school makeup artist you know and I was like wow you know it was just kind of the whole thing and when I got on set, it was actually uh, Kenny Ortega directing me. And that was kind of a very kind of full circle moment because he directed uh, Hocus Pocus. And that's one of my... That's a really I uh, love that movie. And I was like, oh, wow. So they, they kind of put me in and they buried me into the ground. And the whole time i was sweating bullets thinking, oh, God, please don't ask me to dance. <laughs> you know <what> I'm <laughs> I mean, yeah. off drive, what the hell? And then I laid down in the, uh, the dirt. And they kind of just left it up to me what to do. You know, he, he, he more just said, you know, you go on three, you go on two, you go on one. And he was dealing with dancers at the time because all, all those corpses in that scene are dancers. Oh, yeah. um, it, it was me and a handful of people from k like Grady Holder, Don. Oh, OK. You know, a couple of us. But for my seniors, he just goes, you're number three. And I'm laying down in this, this grave thinking, well, what the hell am I going to do? You know, and uh, they, I hear the Vincent Price voiceover. And I'm like, okay, th- I'm really in a thriller music video. Like, I better make this good, you know. And uh, he called my number, and I thought, okay, what the hell? Am-? And then I just pretended like I was waking up out of my grave, did the whole stretch kind of scream thing. Like, you know, like roaring, you know, that kind of thing. And then it was cut, and Kenny was like, what you're doing is brilliant. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, like, oh, because I just didn't want to look dumb or weird or nothing. And the- So we filmed that day. And then it was a couple months later, you know, a month or so that Michael had passed and we thought, oh, okay, so, you know, what's, what's the whole scoop with this? And then eventually it turned into the this is it film because uh, Sony decided, you know, that the world should see this, this in, they cut that film together. So it pretty much was never going to be seen beyond the, the tour. And then that's how the movie came yeah, out. Yeah, the movie And then kind of an interesting moment about the whole thing I noticed is is when I was watching the film, he's actually, Michael was watching me in a monitor, and I, <laughs> you actually see him get excited about my performance, and I'm like, wow, I mean, had I known that, that he was watching me, God knows what I would have done, because oh, that yeah. would scared the crap out of me, you know, but, um, and I we actually got to meet him that day, too, when we did it, he came out and he thanked everybody. Really polite man, and it was it was a very interesting moment. I mean, here I am in, in zombie makeup, pretty much meeting our you know century's Elvis, so to speak. You know, and it's just it, it was interesting, but it was, it was definitely a highlight of my life. It was great. That's pretty killer. Yeah. And when you go down to Atlanta,
0: when you've been shooting down there, mm-hmm. um, do they have a
11: studio down there, or they just have not now for the show? Or have they built a little? You know, at the time that I was going down there, they, they, um, as far as I know, they didn't have studios, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they do at this point, you know, I mean. It's, so they just had a trailer for you when they're making you up. Well, they? like, uh, when we did episode one, that was insane because that was filmed in areas of downtown Atlanta. And um, you know they had trailers and stuff all over the streets. And when you stepped outside, it looked like the apocalypse. There was a tank in the middle of an intersection. What? car. did they block off an area? Or where, how did they yeah. get it to be so empty? It, it, they pretty much. I, I mean, they just blocked off part of the city. You know, I mean, I'm sure most of it, like other you know shots of the show, at least the parts I weren't involved. I'm sure were probably achieved with using a mixture of digital and blocking off. But the day I was there, it was literally just blocked off streets and I mean it was bizarre you know I mean you could see if if you looked up you could actually see people through the windows you know watching us and checking it out but as far as the street, I mean, it really felt like you were in the middle of a zombie show, man. It was it was weird. It looked like, it. In I theory. thought maybe it was on, you know, some backlight or something. No, nope. That
0: that's Atlanta. And they just had a trailer for you there. Trailer must no, have been the, human as hell.
11: Oh, especially wearing a wool suit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And did the makeup start sweating off you? Uh huh. Well, no, the, the makeup held up pretty well because. Um, at that, that season you know I was just wearing real minimal it was, it was just transfers in a paint job so how long was that one was it pretty quick makeup job uh huh and, and uh Jake of course Garber, you had to go through it twice yeah, took it uh, off yeah of course but uh, yeah Jake Garber pretty much he, he applied it to me he, um, he he works on the show as well currently still too and um it, he pretty much copied the same makeup I had worn through my camera tests so it was really quick just shot me right out there how about the one with, through the windshield though? That looked like a fuller, fuller oh yeah, appliances but, and stuff yeah, on that. One. That was actually multiple prosthetics. Because um, w- what they did is they glued down on my face, um, kind of like a like a skin kind of um, muscular kind of you know ripped up appliance, and then on top of that they glued down a normal zombie face. So, oh, so when, um, when you kind of, when it reveals what you see, what goes on underneath, I actually scrape my face against the glass so it would push <laughs> it back with, to reveal the, the makeup that was underneath it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I, I remember the second time I did that when we did pickups. Greg was actually my director that day. Okay, you know, and it was it was like I can't let this guy down. He's my boss, and you know he's <laughs> the, he, he's the king makeup guy of the show. And he was you know he was razzing me. He was like, "Okay, Joe, sell this because I don't want to have to make you CG." You know, <laughs> sell this makeup. And I'm like, "Okay." Was it out? It was an outdoor shot, or was that in a stage with lights? The uh, the second time we filmed that scene, it was actually on a small set. Downstage. But the first one was... uh uh-huh. yeah. that was straight up in, the, in, in an old country road at like, you know, one in the morning somewhere in Georgia. How long Just, was that shoot for that? How that,
0: many setups were there on that night? You, you would know, honestly,
11: I, I'd say that one was probably... Um, Maybe three or four setups. I mean, we pretty much I remember getting my makeup removed and I stepped out of the trailer and the sun was coming up. Was it... Is it a... uh, They use multiple cameras when they're shooting every time? Yeah. uh Uh-huh. Like, when I started that shot where I just pressed my face up against the windshield, kind of the opener of the episode when, really, she's in there, they had a camera, like, on a kind of Dolly Crane thing that rose up kind of around me and uh, that was interesting. And then we did, like, you know, the side shot and, and then they actually had a camera inside this car with her and it, was a, it wasn't it was like a, a movie car it was a normal sized car and they you know they had the camera set up in there with, with the actress and um yeah it was it was a really fun shot like it was it was it was neat to just cut loose and go crazy as a zombie you know because you're typically used to the kind of slow-moving things, and I'm like, I oh, don't know, this zombie's going to be hungry in hell, so <laughs> <laughs> just went for it. Did you get contacts for that one? Oh, right? yeah, in I the, had lenses in the whole works.
0: In the first one, the bus one, is that also the contacts, or no? That was Yeah, I had that. lenses in that.
11: They were kind of real minimal, because I, I I think the idea was is that it was slowly kind of happening. Yeah, you weren't quite as so, rotted as yeah, the others, uh-huh. so...
0: Uh, down in Atlanta when you were shooting did you do um, you were in Atlanta and that other one was a country road right outside of Atlanta where they shot the car Mm -hmm.
11: scene yeah that that was actually a town called Peachtree oh okay yeah and it was a real mellow just town like it was it was was kind of like the whole deal was down there is people had like golf carts and they would use them as their cars just in the town yeah just the lazy chill I take it over (laughs) his retirement age Uh, yeah. yeah That seems kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. How far was that from Atlanta? You know, I honestly don't know because um, during um, that sh- that whole kind of episode, I only saw Atlanta w- when I got out of the airplane, and then <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, they pretty much just drove me to the hotel, and I was staying at the hotel with the rest of the you know, Canby crew, makeup artists, and all, and from there we just kind of went straight to the to the area Peachtree was filming in.
0: Now the first thing I remember you doing ever, I think, was Spooky Time, or was that? there's
11: anything earlier than that? Uh, you know, I mean, the pretty much the first. I mean, because you know, Well, growing up, you know, I did acting for haunted houses. That was kind of my whole thing, and I honestly think that's what got me into this business. Yeah, talk it's about just, where you started, what town, and and uh, um, and you know, in the and the whole haunted house business. Yeah, and that's kind of what will lead in, or lead into Spooky Time. But um, as a kid. Um, I just loved Halloween. That was my whole thing, focus. I was notorious for, like, opening the Halloween box in July, you know, wanting to play with the (laughs) makeup. And very early on, my parents supported my love for Halloween. And I remember as a little kid, I grew up on Air Force bases. And the Air Force base had what was called a youth center for, like, little kids to hang out and play baseball and basketball and that kind of stuff. And they would every year throw a haunted house. And as a little kid, I'm like, I have to be a part of this thing. And my parents would drive me down there and, no sign the forms. And uh, I got to play monsters in haunted houses. And then, um, you know, I moved quite frequently because we were in the Air Force. So you get orders every three, four years to move. And um, by the time I was kind of high school age, we had moved to Omaha, Nebraska and Midwest, um Halloween's a very big deal down there. Pumpkin patches. I mean, the haunted houses are gorgeous, you know. It's amazing. Way more than California. Yeah, and that's what blew my mind when I first moved here. Because I expect... I mean, granted, you have Knots and Six Flags, but I expected the haunted houses to be even close to what they were like in the Midwest. And they're just... They don't don't have it, you know. And uh, I was in high school, and I found a, a... a top-notch haunted house called Mystery Manor in Omaha, Nebraska and I remember going through it and it was just blowing my mind they did the whole Disneyland ghost pepper effects nice, and yeah all sorts of stuff and um so uh I think I was a freshman in high school and went up there and just said let me work for you you know let me do makeup anything you know and um that's kind of where the it, the love for it really grew because I met other people that was into not only being monsters but doing makeup and uh, all through high school that that's what I did you know pretty much starting August we'd help build and build props and do the makeup and I, I got to be a makeup artist every year you know and also as a creature actor and then um I started uh, w- going through college in Omaha and I'm still working in the haunted house and I realized about my year and a half into college I was a studio art major but um I knew I wanted to be a part of it more on a professional level and I just realized like I want to do makeup and stuff professionally so I kind of just made up my decision to like I should just go to California and give it a try you know and um, I found Westmore Academy and uh, it was kind of one of those things where I I took all the money I had and just went for it I was fortunate enough that a couple friends lived down here and I went to Westmore Academy and through that that's um, I met Mike Pack he was my makeup instructor And he got me an internship at Optic Nerve. And then that was pretty much the start of my, um, I guess, effects career. You know, and from there on, I, I, you know, kept working at Chops. And I've been doing it now for, I think, 14 years or so. Um, but, yeah, honestly, m- my love for Halloween is what really got me into the business. You know, I just like being a part of Monsters and, and playing Monsters. And um, I, I was working at Stan Winston Studios on... Um, it was Doom, Zathora, and we had a War of the Worlds all at the same time. Oh and I God. got to meet uh, our buddy, Brian Gehring. Oh, yeah. That's, that's who you made. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. And we instantly clicked because his story was a lot like mine. He grew up working in haunted houses. Yeah, all had, northern California. Yeah, and we had a love for Halloween and um, creature features. And we started talking about the whole ghost hosts, and we both kind of agreed, like, don't get us wrong. We love horror movies. But our favorite part of the whole creature features was actually the bookend. Yeah, the horror host guys. Yeah, the horror <laughs> host guys. And we thought, what the hell? There's there's nothing that's that's really just a horror host show minus the movie. So we got the um, the idea to do some. Uh, we came up with we called it Spooky Time at Wormwood Mortuary, and we a kind of idea was more like a Pee Wee's Playhouse, but just the the hosts. And uh, we, uh, I, I had a, a two bedroom apartment at the time, and we just gutted the room, we hung trash bags, got fog machines, <laughs> a couple six packs of beer, and we just filmed it. And then um, it was fun, you know, it was amazing. And then it kind of grew from there. And then, um, it, you know, it was real low, low production but that's kind of how we got by with it because that was the whole point of the show is to just look like two jokers that didn't know what they were up to and um what were the characters and who are you now so I played grimly the grave digger so I was a, a grave digger that had leprosy so my head's all <laughs> bandaged up and wrapped and Brian actually plays uh, Wolfshine shine bomb wormwood and he's the like mortuary director okay you know and then of course we, we have the recurring character of just the bat on a string you know that kind of thing and um we, I think we're up to about six episodes now, and uh, of course, um, the more I got kind of familiar with the editing and filmmaking, the, the the better the production value. Yeah, you made show. it look pretty good yeah. for having no money. Yeah, but the whole point of the show was is, is we never wanted to make it look professional. The whole idea is to make it look like something you see at two in the morning on a public access channel.
0: I think one of the times you had Matt Roses when zombies attack on uh, as one of the cartoons on uh, the show. I think.
11: Yeah, it, yeah. We, because we actually tried one show where where we did that we started splicing in cartoons and that kind of you know and um, every show we kind of tried to do a little bit different you know just to have fun with it um and the whole idea with the um the show was is we never really had a script what we did is we had a very loose outline of you know we had like an intro and outro and then kind of like a skit in the middle and the whole idea was is We would write a very vague outline of where it was, what direction it was supposed to go, but then that's all we would leave it. And then what we would do is we would film each shot three to four different times and then just keep them. And then within editing, I would, like, if I liked the first part of that one shot, but then I liked the end of the third one, I, I just tied them together. And then what works about the show being crappy is if it didn't match up, I could just throw in a record scratch and it <laughs> worked. So, hey, are those on YouTube now? I You know, honestly, I've uh, uh, they are on YouTube. Um, I've been really far behind on keeping them updated, you know. and um, Well, that's a lot of stuff on YouTube, so it doesn't yeah. matter. yeah. You know, so I kind of got to get off the... The, the the lazy wagon and, and start a channel, and you, but, but you can look it up at spooky time uh-huh.
0: and run into it. Yeah, that, and so.
11: I, you know, I it, it's funny enough, um, it kind of had a mild resurgence because um, our my mold shop supervisor Jim Leonard retired it, yeah, a year ago, and as a goodbye present, he was a huge fan of the show. We had no idea it'd be funny. We'd clock it in the morning, and we could actually hear it playing in the background, <laughs> he's just laughing like you guys are silly, you know. And so, as a retirement present, we we dusted off the the spooky. Time box, if you will, and pulled out the costumes and filmed them. A, kind of a, like a oh, ten-minute Spooky that's Time cool. roast. I know that. Yeah, and then because of that, everyone had saw it and was like, "Why aren't you guys still doing this stuff?" And Brian and I were like, "Yeah, you know." Well, now you are working in the same place again, so yeah, it's so time to start No, no excuse, yeah, <laughs>
0: except for lethargy. But you know, <laughs> I am sitting in his room right now, and it's all set up for Halloween. Speaking of that, I've, he's got a and now wait a minute that's you up there I see the mummy up there but is Uh that you
11: from the show yeah that's actually from Greg's uh, United Monster Top yeah he actually of all the main characters he made lobby cards Kind of like nineteen thirty oh, style lobby oh, cards, nice. and he did one of me as it the look looks money. just like it. And like uh, an there's a there's a maid gal in this lobby card dusting me off, and that's actually Beth Hathaway. <laughs> I didn't even recognize. Yeah, her. she's a uh, she's the um, fabrication um, department head, or you know, she can be now or where? Okay. Yeah, can be. Yeah, and she's been working on it for years, so it was pretty cool doing a scene with um with Beth. Nice, and
0: I see a. Uh, uh, raven statuette and a taxiderm bat and mm-hmm. some kind of horned creature skull. I don't know what that is. And <laughs> and
11: the, and this right here. Is that from The Walking Dead? You, well, actually, okay, well, what Frank's talking about is on the wall. Um, I had heard um, kind of into um, as they were still filming season one of The Walking Dead, Drew Struzen was drawing the poster for The Walking Dead. And I, I mean, if you're not familiar with him, he did like all the the Star Wars posters, Indiana Jones, you know, I mean, he's a famous Hollywood back to the future, you know, and they told me that I was going to be on his poster. And I was like, what the hell? I'm going to be a Drew Struzan painting. And I saw photos of it online on AMC. And sure. It sure is. I, I, am on that poster and I'm just thinking, Oh, good God. You know, Drew, Drew painted me. And, um, one day Frank Darabont came into the shop touring it. And he goes, you know, did you get chance to get a hold of, of one of those posters? And I'm like, No, Frank, and he goes, I'll take care of that. And about two weeks later, this big rolled tube showed up at the shop for me, and I opened it up and it's actually like a lithograph print of this thing. Nice. And at the very bottom, uh Frank signed it for me and he put two Joe Rock and Roll Zombie Extraordinary with love and thanks for your brilliant work. And he signed it, Frank Darabont three twenty
0: five eleven. Nice it's beautiful too I, yeah. I you know they don't show it off as much in
11: the print ads as it yeah, is right here on yeah, this lithograph I, yeah I, I think it was just kind of more of a kind of promotion you know like oh, early yeah. on in the show yeah, you know, yeah. And yeah. they ended up using that image on the cover I believe the blu-ray of season one okay and some promo materials but yeah I mean because of Walking Dead and Gray Nicotero I got amazing opportunities I never thought of. I would have, oh, actually, look, Frank. This is that. Um, this is that fan fiction book here. Oh, about.
0: <laughs> I'm looking at the fan fiction book now. Yeah, I just saw it they made. It they made the
11: cover. Yeah. Oh I mean, my gosh! What are these discs in here? It's actually buttons. They made it, buttons. It, yeah, and then it, it's actually broken off between different fan fictions. They took screen captures of me. Found photos of me on the internet. They have photocopy of them. no, that's them writing. Uh huh. And then they each kind of wrote me like a, you know, just a little bit, like, like a thank you, so to speak, and you <laughs> nice. know, for getting them together and all that stuff. What does this button say? I'd. We have to open See, this up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It has a little packet on the
0: inside cover with all. It said, "I'd
11: walk for Milo." That's what they <laughs> named <to> my character. <laughs> <coughs> wow. So, yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting, because when, when the bus walker, which was the, what they call it, in the show, is there, they really highlight it. I mean, yeah. it, it's more than any other, than this, I mean, except for the little girl at the very
11: mm-hmm. beginning. That's oh, the one with the most uh, attention dealt to it. You know what kind of bumps me out about that walker, the bus walkers, because he never killed me in that episode and we're so far in the series I, I don't know how it would make sense but I'm like he, he never got killed off well what well, I, I thought don't... would be cool is when I heard you were gonna be in
0: um, the prequel the Fear of the Walking Dead I thought maybe they'd show how that bus walker got made Hey that man, would have been a cool episode maybe showing you sending
11: that idea to the right people Frank yeah,
0: because be people something. obviously recognize it it's they got a toy of it so it wouldn't you, you know they'd recognize you and they could yeah. have it you could have well,
11: that I, suit maybe yeah. you're <laughs> on to something, Frank look at you I got the a letter. show writer over here you know go for it man
0: Do you got any other stories of, of crazy things that happened on set or I know there's always the clever your mind. That's the trouble with all that.
11: But. Yeah, I, I'm sure by the time you leave at, like three a.m., I'll go. Why in the hell didn't I say that? <laughs> um, but uh, ooh, I'm trying to. Th- um, oh, what was interesting? Okay, on top of uh, like uh, doing the motion, I actually even got to be a part of a Walking Dead slot machine. Slot machine in yeah. Vegas? That? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you know, I I forget what season it was. Probably, I want to say in the middle of three or four, they came out with a Walking Dead slot machine. And what was so cool about that was, is they um, they used most of us in, in you know crew from the mold shop and like Derek Rogers. He he does all the silicone and dead people. He got to be a zombie for that. And we got to go down to a studio, and they filmed us as, like, the kind of, like, when you play the slot, when you win, you know, like a zombie will attack the screen kind of thing. So they had, this was done with video and stuff, uh-huh. like, like a video game yeah. while they are playing the kind of them high-tech slot machines now, and, um... So that, that was cool. I never thought I'd be a part of someone. Did you, know. you do several characters for that? Or did you do the bus walker? Or what did they have you do? You know, I was just kind of just a generic, you know, normal zombie. Just, you know, attacking the screen if you won the jackpot kind of thing. And of course, I found <laughs> it in Vegas. And I'm like, oh, good. And uh, You yeah. should be able to shoot him in the head when you
0: win. Yeah. Not them attack yeah. you.
11: But um, You found it in Vegas, though? Uh, yep, yep. And I, I, I'm no good at that stuff. Which so. casino? Well, nobody is. Come uh, on, you've seen the buildings there. All places I found it, I believe it was Casino Royale, Frank. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That's really
0: fun. Well, I the, never get to Vegas, but maybe yeah. if I go to Laughlin, <laughs> <yeah>. Ooh, <laughs>
11: I'll have to please. check it out and see. I'm trying to think any other. Oh, they, they made a Halloween mask of me. Oh, walkers. nice. Yeah. Is that it? uh no. uh Uh-huh. uh-huh. Trick-or-treat trick like studio. Trick-or-treat studio. Who, Whose stu- place is that? They, um, I believe they're in Northern California, and they, okay. um, they they're licensed to just make a, pretty much Halloween masks of, like, uh, they did them of, like, Lords of Salem. Different Which colors. one is this of now? And then this, this is the
0: bus walker. Okay. You know? Okay, um, oh, you're bringing it down now. He's got to move some statuary
11: here. Yeah. And granted, back then nice. I had long black hair, so but it's,
0: it's yeah, I saw that. I mean, that um, is so cool—the official Walking
11: Dead AMC licensed Max collection. That's yeah. nice. And Trick or Treat Studios was, was was really cool. Like I found out, and I'm like, oh my god, I gotta order one. So I ordered <coughs> one, and then in the comment section, you know, I just told them who I was, and I'm like, you guys did a great job, and. You know, I mean, not everyone can say that they've been turned into a Halloween mask. <laughs> and for me, that's the gold. I mean, yeah. it's Halloween, you know. And uh, they sent me back a, a larger box. And I'm like, "What? what is this? You know, it's more. And they sent me T-shirts and all sorts of oh, stuff. Nice. And they. And I was like, oh, wow. What city are they out of? Oh, you know, honestly, I don't know. Okay. Um, I have to look them up just to see. But yeah, their masks are great, man. They are fun, you know, they they have like Uncle Creepy, like all that nice. kind of stuff and so they're definitely worth checking out. That's Dennis. good with the death of, of old um, Don Post and Yeah, and that's that's pretty much what I mean they got it's a neat website, anything you can think of. All the pullovers, little half face masks. I think it's called trigger treat studios And they, they have a. Uh, I, I believe that was the only company licensed to make Halloween masks. So they have uh, the deer walker, which is Greg Nicotero. They made oh, a he, mask of him. Yeah, okay. They made a mask of the well walker um, from season two, the bloated fella in the, in the well. They And they have a whole line of... Um, uh, walking Dead Prosthetics on that website and all oh. sorts of stuff. Yeah.
0: What other products have they been selling for the Walking Dead now?
11: Uh, like, oh, Frank. I know I they have anything. the toys. Got, I'm really wallets. out of it. Yeah, wallets. They got wallets. Yeah, lamps. Um <laughs> it, the lamps. They got uh, a head. I saw those in a, in a CD store. They actually had a Walking Dead lamp. Like with the... I was like, Just wow. the zombies walking by or they got uh-huh. a head for the light or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, zombies walking by. They um I mean, anything you could think of, the little tiny, the little pop vinyl, t- I mean, it's, it's a big thing, you know. Everybody at work always talks
0: about it. I'm left out, because I, you know, I can barely keep up with anything, so yeah. I don't think start
11: catching up. I think I'm left back in third season. Yeah. You know, I, I never thought that the the, uh, the comic series and show would impact my life the way it did, but I remember before it was, well, before I even was at Cambie and they talked about a show and... Um, you know friends would tell me about this comic book Walking Dead you gotta check it out you know and I I, I hadn't known anything about it was it only an online comic I forget now no you know it was actually a comic series a book um, I forget what company did it was it Dark Horus or something something like that yeah and everyone said you had to check it out you know and it, of course you know I'm like just it's kind of like I said one of them weird full circle moments where had I fast forward to the future and said Do you realize how involved <laughs> you would be with this one here. <laughs> and I had no idea and then you know, look at it, there you go. You know, and I have been fortunate enough to do multiple seasons, motion capture, video games, commercials for it. And then the spin off, you know, it's it's been really great, you know. Well hopefully you do a lot more. Yeah I'm sure you
10: yeah. will.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much for talking with me.
10: Yeah.
0: And uh sometime we we'll have another conversation about all the rest of your Halloween collection. Yeah, it's everything from taxiderm animals
11: to statuary to <laughs> posters. What the heck is that crystal thing there? It, it, it's actually supposed to, like, um, I guess when you turn it on, it's supposed to release like calming enzymes or something. I don't know. That's it's not a working on of you, of Joe. <laughs> that looks beautiful. Then the baby head in a jar, skull, <laughs> and a couple of... Uh, yeah, this is kind of my occult room where I can just kind of relax and be me. And- it's nice. I like your little devil from the, from the uh,
0: Didos de los Muertos and everything. So thank you
11: very much. Yeah, thank you, Frank, and it's it's good seeing you again. Good seeing You you, sir.
6: Six feet down, coming out of the ground. Looks like it's getting around. It's a virus, apocalyptic. You won't survive this, you can't predict it. Hey, chaotic, psychotic, that defying lifeless logic. It's scary, supernatural. Knock me down, I'm so compactable Not good, I'm dead. A new creation I'll be reaching. I don't want to be, Not a but a zombie, I know, insanity, untamable, unchangeable, ambiance is uncontainable, run for your love, run for your love, what, bon see? I got a new appetite, transform, be born, uh-huh. love bites and it's in rare form, worldwide.
8: One schlitz
4: What'll you have? PAPS Blue Ribbon. What'll you have? PAPS Blue Ribbon. When you're watching TV boxing
2: bouts
7: with fighters swinging hooks and clouts, the moment that bell begins to sound, it's PAPS
4: Blue Ribbon from the very first round. What'll you have? PAPS Blue Ribbon. What'll you have? PAPS Blue Ribbon. What'll you have? PAPS Blue
3: Ribbon. PAPS Blue Ribbon, dear.
12: Beer, sir. Anywhere. Taps blue ribbon beer. What'll you have? Tap Blue Ribbon. Around here, well, I guess we take work about as serious as anybody else. But I'll tell you something, boy, come sundown, ain't nobody more serious about having a good time.
5: Beer for the best time of the day. Miller Highlight.
3: Bring your thirsty self right here. You've got the time. We've got the beer for what you have in mind.
2: You've gone as far as you can go to get the very best When you say Bud You've said the word that means
3: you like to do it all When you say Bud It means you want the beer that's got a taste that's number one When you say but, You tell the world you know what makes it all the way When you say Bud you say you care enough to only want the King of Beers. There is no other one. There's only something less. Because the King of Beers is leaving all the rest. When you say, bye Bison,
10: you've said it all.
3: There is no other one. There's only something less. Because the King of Beers. You've said it all. When you say Budweiser, you've said it all.
7: It's late and she's waiting. And I know I should go home. But every time I start to leave, they play another song. Then someone buys another round, and whatever drinks are free, what's made Milwaukee famous has made a Babies begged me not to go So many times before She says love and happiness Can't live behind those swinging doors Now she's gone And I'm to blame too late I finally see What's made Milwaukee famous has made a loser Out of me Baby's begged me Not to go So many times before She says love and Happiness just can't live behind those swinging doors now she's gone and I'm to blame too late. I finally see What's made Milwaukee famous? Has made her lose the of me What's made Milwaukee famous? Has made a loser out of me.
0: When we were kids growing up in Oxnard, there was this bar at the end of our street at the old Twin Centers Mall. The bar was called King Arthur's and it had a suit of armor standing right outside the door. Before that, some guy told me it used to be called the Green Door, but for all my life it was King Arthur's and i was always fascinated by it whenever i walked up to go to gilbert's five and dime or thrifty's drug i'd make a point of going by king arthur's and looking at the armor i'd study that for a while and then i'd stare at the door and wonder what was going on inside i imagined this great place with medieval decorations and barmaids dressed like women in sleeping beauty i was always itching to go inside well many years of fire and new owners later i got my chance The suit of armor was still there, and so was the old door. I walked inside to find this dark, smoky, and kind of small space. It was filled with regulars who were eyeing me kind of apathetically. Then the live music hit me. It was wonderful. I don't know what King Arthur's had been when I was a kid, but now it was a blues bar, a good one. One of those wonderful local watering holes. There are many great bars, pubs, and taverns like that all over the U.S., establishments where the character of the place shines as much as the alcohol. And we all have our favorites. Some are for special occasions, and others serve as irregular hangouts. Tonight, we're going to talk about our particular favorite watering holes, and why you might want to visit them. And James, why don't you start? Why you might want to visit them, why you can't visit them, (laughs) because (laughs) some of them are
1: gone. But uh, So my first one, and it's just a little bit of context, is Uh, when I was going to school, the movie Swingers came out, so, uh, it was, uh, really popular, the swing, the new swing movement came back, and they had Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Royal Crown Review, and all these other, uh, smaller names, uh, that, that, uh, were playing in Los Angeles, and you could go and see people Lindy Hop and do all kinds of, you know, kind of the organized dancing, you know, that's not, not in your regular club, and I kind of dug on it a lot, actually, and, um. So my first one uh, was the Derby. And it's actually the sister restaurant to the actual Derby, which is the one with the hat and everything uh, that that's really famous in Hollywood. Uh, and if you don't know that one, the, the actual building was shaped like a hat, like a brown Derby. It was called the Brown Derby, but it literally was shaped like a hat. And inside they had pictures of all the celebrities that had been there and that kind of thing. This one was the one that, that actually stayed... Open longer, and it was uh, attached to a restaurant only by a wall. It was you couldn't. I mean, they the the kitchens connected, but it was a bar and in its own self, in its own right. And uh, the it was kind of shaped in a half dome. And if you looked up, there was all this kind of a uh, intricate lattice work of open wood uh, for the roof. And they had a small stage in the corner, and then this beautifully lit bar in the center. And they would have. Uh, it when I went there, and I went there several times. They would have you know a swing, uh, a swing band playing. I saw Royal Crown Review there a couple times. Then they they even had um, uh, rockabilly or psychobilly. You know, Royal, uh, Reverend Horton Heat I saw there, nice. and um, and uh, it had like red patent leather seats and like. Kind of, they had, uh, each booth was like kind of it's inside the wall and they had curtains adorning these, you know, the, the edges of the booth. Like you could shut them, uh, you couldn't really, but you know, it looked like you could close yourself in. And and uh, it was just a cool place uh, for a small time. It, you know, it was one of the spots where where uh, um, the big uh, swing movement came in back in the 90s. I didn't 90s. know
0: that it was uh, gone now
1: i as as far as I know they they closed down it might have reopened but as as it was they they closed down and uh
0: was that that was somewhere off of las Vegas or West, where was western
1: that? and western and uh it was yeah you western and las Vegas, I think maybe and and um
0: the only time I got out that way is that Jerry and I went to see King Crimson at the uh Greek theater, and we came out. We were going to go there, but it was too crowded, so we never got. Yeah, to-
1: so that's exactly where it is. One of those streets that comes off the, the hill there. Um, you can you can you know you get there and and uh, and there would be it would be you know hopping and and literally they had a whole other room that that was like a big dance, but then they just had like a like a very small dance floor in front of the stage. I'm talking about small, small, like ten by <laughs> ten by ten or something. Like people three like, people well, can sort One of dance. person yeah. was doing, you know, <laughs> if one couple was doing the dance thing, but it's oh the, yeah, especially
0: like the it's, Lindia.
1: It's the it's the bar in Swingers where they're you know the guys like you got these claws or whatever, and you know Vince Vaughn's in there and they he starts dancing with. Uh, with the gal that he ends up with at the end. Oh, okay. Um,
0: oh, that's a place, boy. They make it. You look, can't tell. They make it look <laughs> bigger. <laughs> yeah, they do make it look bigger. But, but that's 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 my first bar, and that was the college
1: bar. That, that whole
0: time was so great. The first time I ever saw any of the swing stuff, I was going upstairs to Nickelbees, which was a place that's also closed. Yeah. Uh, bakery downstairs, upstairs was a pool hall a bar and live music, and they different kinds every every day of the week. But. One of the days was swing. I just happened to come up and went, what the heck's going on here? They're playing sort of a big band, and they've got people dancing all here, doing linny hopping and all different kinds of other swing dancing. And I called up my friend Karen. and says, you've got to get over here. She was a Malibu at the time. Come on over. Look at this. And I, of course, had been going on for a long time, but I never had seen it. And at that time... um Big Bad Voodoo Daddy out of Santa Barbara was just coming over there. And they weren't famous yet or anything. So. I think they were on a Ventura, in fact. Oh, they were? Yeah. I thought of Santa Barbara for some reason. Yeah. But anyway, well, very cool. They James. say Los
1: Angeles. Chris Bates gets very mad about it.
0: <laughs> well, he might be right. <laughs> anyway, uh, now we're going to my first one. So my first drinking spot is called Forbidden Island. And it's on an actual island. It's on Alameda Island, which is on the San Francisco Bay, and it's not much of an island. One side faces the bay, and the other has about 100 yards of water, like a river going around, there's bridges going on. But it's a cool place with a lot of cool stuff to see. There's, uh, speaking of booze, there's St. George Distillery there where you can take tours, and you get tastings of of all these different alcohols, um, like sherry and and things, and absinthe. And uh, right next to that is the one they used to own, which is Hangar One Vodka. And then the downtown is beautiful. They got... Turn of the century architecture, and they got this great pinball museum where you get to play the exhibits. It's just oh, full cool. of pinball games. So you, have you, you have to use quarters? You have to use Oh
1: man, what a ride! Oh no, you, you don't have to play quarters. No. What
0: am I saying? But you do pay to get in, and no, it's okay. all it's all inclusive. So you get the wristband, you get free play. No, they kind of just pay to walk in. Then there's the Forbidden Island uh, Tiki Lounge, and I was taken there for the first time just last February by my good friend Leslie. And the first thing you notice as you're walking up to this place is this giant thirty foot tall tiki god, st- which is right out, sticking out of the ceiling because it's in the back by the patio. Wow! And it, and I wasn't there during the good weather, so. But otherwise, they have all kinds of stuff going on outside. And then when you go inside, then the d- decor hits you. It's a it's an explosion of tiki. And if you like the tiki room, you're going to love this. They got booths with. um thatched roofs and bamboo set up they got war clubs on the walls and tahitian velvet paintings they got all these little tiki uh totems and gods and niches and they got wicker furniture and all sorts of the lounge area and they got the lighting is cool some of its regular lighting but then they also have blowfish that are lit from the inside and they got those buoy uh, in netting that also has lights and they got this tiny waterfall that's really cool in the back so, and they got great canned music. And it's sort of like the exotica stuff and Hawaiian music and then old standards. But on certain nights, they got live music too. Um, and and with it, they sometimes have like Hawaiian dancing or fire eating. Sometimes they should have movie nights. It's a pretty fun place. And, and the bar itself is a great tiki bar. And then right above it is the obligatory dollars with people's names on them stuck to the ceiling. And they had this tv going with with it off and they just show different stuff while you're doing when i was there they had episodes of the planet of the ape tv series and then donovan's reef <laughs> playing oh, that's funny. it was cool yeah. and um they've got lots of traditional tiki drinks some classics like the mr bali high which that was created in 52 and they got um traditional cocktails like the hurricane and the hemingway daiquiri and then of course they've got the The bowls, you know, for several people or one big thirsty guy with a little fire in the middle. You can all drink out of straws. And they have um, house specials. and My favorite is the the Vic Valentine, which is a good drink. They kind of have a limited uh, food menu, but it's good. Like they have, uh, it's just, and this is literally all they have. They got coconut shrimp, crab rangoon. They got French fries and sweet potato fries. Mozzarella sticks. And boneless chicken wings. That's it. But they're good. Each one of those things is pretty darn good. They've got this great... Well, it's great if you're an alcoholic anyway. (laughs) There's this club they have. It's called the Kill Devil Club. Because they have a a huge selection of rum. And what you do is you'll go on certain nights and you'll each drink one glass of that rum. And, And you work your way through a year to drink every rum they have. And they have the third largest selection of rum in the world. So that's a lot of drinking. And um, when when you uh, if you do all that, you get a bottle of your favorite rum, you get 10% off from the rest of your life coming into the place, you get let in early during events, and then you get a plaque on the wall. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. When do we start? Yes. <laughs> uh, they're open 5 till midnight, and they're located at 1304 Lincoln Avenue, Alameda, California. And it's excuse me nine four five zero one. if you're looking up on uh, Google. And the website is ForbiddenIslandAlameda.com. And uh, the number is 510-749-0332. So a good time had uh, by all. Yeah. So, it's nice. James, awesome. what's next? So uh,
1: probably my most uh, favorite bar... I don't know. It's everything's when I was young when I was actually drinking, you yeah, know, well, of in college, right? So, there was another thing and everything's kind of the at least has a little bit of a tinge of that swing because it well, was, was just the time. it was yeah. just the time that we were there and there was a bar on Highland um and I think it was in between like Wilshire and uh Melrose or something that you know runs parallel with each other and um And it was just like the little hole in the wall. They had like red patent leather doors and and there was no sign or anything, but uh, there was just like a little lucky and it said lucky and then a number seven. It was called the lucky seven. And uh, for ambiance and for, I just thought it was super cool. You would go in there and they would have, um, they'd have like a cigarette girl come around. They had, um, you know, they all have, like, the people, attendance in the bathrooms and everything. is kind of, you know, pretty swanky or whatever. And then you would go in there and, and they would have... Uh, just the decor was... It was like a podge podge, but it was, it was pretty cool. It was before everybody got, like... Sort of industrial and had the you know the, the wood oh, yeah. showing the and whatever, thing, and then yeah. the next thing was the you know they were that OSB showing everywhere. Like that was the new everybody. <laughs> let's let's just have crappy pressboard. So this on the walls by, like or whatever. A, a
0: flashback to the fifties. Yeah, play.
1: and it reminded we definitely like fifties decor. Um,
0: did they have a chandelier in that place or no? Yeah, they did. Because there was a place I went, but they had a porthole on the door. The one I'm thinking. no, I th- yeah. Oh, yeah. that was it. And it's like in the middle of an alley or something.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, like you, you stood in line. There was there was an entrance in the front, like on on Highland. But basically, it was one of those places that had that the gate, you know, the locked gates to you know at night they shut the oh, the, yeah. the security gate or whatever, and they you could see them. They were just like pushed open. You could see them on the side, kind of old New York style or just old style. Nice. So it looked real raggedy. But once you got inside there, it was like going into that seems fun like but it's a, not there anymore no again like everything is so like oh, uh, you yeah, have to be nice. very I mean for Pete's sakes Trader Vic's is not there anymore and you know that's crazy yeah, to yeah, me yeah that is crazy um, so uh, but they had things on the menu like filet mignon tacos and just, just like uh, this crazy nice. stuff and, and, that's good. <laughs> And, you know, and I'm no Epicurean, but, you know, <laughs> when, when you're young and you're like, hey, man, we're going to try all fun. these new things. No, it was all so this fun. stuff is for fun. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Want to so, hang out there and become an alcoholic. But yeah. Still. Yeah. But it, it was just like, you know, very, very light. Uh, motif. Uh, that's another reason I like it is that it wasn't dark. It was
0: it was lighted. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and uh, you, you know, it was a were, good
1: change-up because everything was so dark every place. Like, you know, need a
0: flashlight to get to anything. I'm a
1: talker. I like to see people and, and do the things. And the music was, was understated. And Oh, nice. Uh, and
0: it was canned and, or they have live sometimes?
1: It, I had only been there when it was canned. You oh, that's know, good. And, I'm glad and it's it's And it was, it was a beautifully it was a beautiful looking place. It had a long bar in the front and uh all black wood and and, uh, oh, and nice. you know that so was and nice nice.
0: Uh, That's what I like this tiki place too yeah. because the music isn't loud so you can't have discussions with each other.
1: Yeah, so it was truly just to go in there and hang out and like it just seemed like I mean it just made me feel cooler. i pretty lame, so <laughs> I was like, "This is cool, <laughs> very nice." Yeah, I wish that place. I, was I there. didn't even need the alcohol, man, <laughs> but I took it anyway.
0: Here's another one, an extra that used to be downtown L.A. Yeah, and it was by the same guys that own the Magic Castle, and each floor had a different style they had a 20 style they had a uh disco they you know you go up in this elevator go to these different pretty much clubs and that that didn't last at all and i never got to see it i just heard about it so anyway well here's one that's still there and maybe you should go see it while you still can so this is called the spare room and i discovered it through one of my friends uh matt and he's a hand letter and a sign painter and he was going to show me his work that he had done along with some other friends in the Roosevelt Hotel right there on Hollywood Boulevard. And, and it's beautiful work. And it was all over the place. We so were wandering all over the hotel and they were having a Halloween party at the time. And But also what he showed me were the bars there. And one of them was a spare room. And they just sort of let us in because this is a place you have to have reservations for. It's smallish and you'll see why. Um because it's a gaming parlor and a cocktail lounge, and it also has two lanes of bowling, oh, which okay. I yes, thought so. was very fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. that's cool.
0: Um, it's situated like this: the bar is across the whole back, and then perpendicular from that is like two rooms coming out, two big long rooms, and divided where you can see between them. It's just pillars, and and you know, one is the two lanes of bowling, and the other is this uh, really cool gaming section. And um, there's beautiful woodwork everywhere. There's a chandelier in the the gaming part. It kind of has a vintage Prohibition feeling to it. There's great furniture. Some of it's antique. Some of it's, you know, kind of modern. And all of it's comfortable. And the game room is very cool. It has, it has upscale versions of common games. Some of them made out of wood. Some of them out of expensive material. And... Uh, I mean, and they're just like Yahtzee and Battleship and Monopoly, Connect Four, Jenga, and there's cribbage and all sorts of other card games and dominoes and backgammon. And they got tons of spirits on hand, as well as wine and bottle and draft beers. There's lots of uh, punches too and cocktails. And my favorite is the fizzy lifting drink that's there. It's oh. very cool. It it has it it's uh, absolute peach vodka that Aperol, Grapefruit Cordial, and Lemon Fizz. Did <laughs> you steal it? I did not steal it. <laughs> I, they allowed me to buy it, even though I had no reservation. They, they were happy to take my money, just not hang out. Uh, they also have non-alcoholic drinks. They have a, a, an African ginger beer, cherry fizz, two kinds of sparkling water. They got expressive um, espresso coffee soda, and they got some kind of German near beer, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Um it this has a better food menu than the last place. Um it's still not extravagant, but they got grilled cheese sandwiches and patty melts and Rubens. They have truffle fries there, and they got a uh uh ice cream sandwich, the um cool house ice cream sandwich, so that's good. It requires you to have reservations, especially for the bowling, which you can have up to six people to get one lane it's for an hour. Um, I guess you could have multiple hours, but uh, it's located upstairs in the Roosevelt Hotel on the mezzanine layer. It's the level? Mezz- yes, the mezzanine level. It's 8 o'clock to 2 a.m., and it's closed two days. And it's bareroomhollywood.com is the um, website. Now, when you're at the uh, Roosevelt, you should also check out the other bars. There's one that's called the Library, which is a cool one that has books and it has horns antlers and stuff on the wall and then they have the tropical pool cafe which is all around the pool the pool has lights in it and it's glowing and all these places are way too expensive you don't hang out there all the time but it's it's cool and fun and really you can do like me and just walk around the place and don't spend any money just check them out so anyway that's my second one
1: I kind of have to give an honorable mention to a lot of places, and it's just a lot of places that most people or wouldn't like. <laughs> those are kind of all right. those are kind of my favorite bars, in 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 a sense. And I'll tell you, it's anything that's that's touristy or that kind of deal where where um like for instance, in there's all these crazy hole in the wall beautiful bars and everything in 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 louisiana we went to new oh, orleans uh, yeah and then there's this place that's kind of super touristy and it's pat o'brien's <laughs> and they have like a flaming uh you know water fountain in the center of it and it's like a courtyard they sell glasses and everything and i just have a soft spot in my heart for places like that that are <laughs> <laughs> they're not quite the planet hollywoods or the whatever those are the those are the the places that do it bad I like the one offs or a couple of them where or, you know where they just have two or three restaurants or maybe just one bar and uh but they're still they're still for tourists but they're still fun uh they're not necessarily my favorite but they're my honorable mention because you know uh they're just fun to, to be in and and that's a good example of of uh you know one is that that uh, uh, pat o'brien's in 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 louisiana in in New orleans and uh you know, Trader Vic's at the end kind of got oh, like that, oh yeah. but it was the original. You know, basically yeah. the guy made the Mai Tai and everything, and, and they had all the stuff that was in there, and they had he the did, big bowls origi- and all the stuff.
0: originate of, the Mai Tai? Yes, did he? he did. Wow,
1: Trader Vic made the Mai, Mai Tai, man. Oh man, I got lectured on that many a time by Chris man.
0: You know, the other kind that are cool too are your dive bars.
1: Absolutely, right,
0: right across the street from uh, Rick Baker's shop. When I was working over there, there was the Winchester Room, and during the day it was kind of your hardcore barflies, uh, but they had good lunch food. And but at night, it uh, they'd have some live music sometimes, and then they would have some very interesting characters that would all hang out, good conversations. Uh, they didn't care if you spent that much money. They didn't, you know you buy a glass, a uh, glass of bubbling water or a beer or whatever. That was cool. And you could sit there and visit. We sometimes we go after work and just hang out there. Sometimes we go to lunch there.
1: Those are kind of fun because they're like the uh, like the minor league ballpark of, of, of things. <laughs> you never know what kind of weird thing they're going to be doing to get people in. And you know a lot of a lot of them have like crazy co- karaoke nights and. and weird shuffleboard stuff that's like pieced together or you know all this kind of gaming stuff and weird stuff that you normally wouldn't play or or they have they i know they have one in uh in what's called beach that's like a sea hunt theme (laughs) yeah no in uh seal beach uh (laughs) no where do they where's this not long beach but where's the second harbor that goes out to to uh avalon san
0: pedro Uh, san pedro yeah yeah san
1: pedro yeah and, uh, you know, so they just have people, you know, places and things that people just love something and they like have a bar yeah, they to have, it. It's like a one-off. So there's some
0: other bar out there by San Pedro, which I heard of now that has, um, they show monster movies and have, uh, monster, uh, trivia on weekends and stuff. And it's sort of that themed and they have big posters on the wall and
1: that. See, so anything like that, we just, we gotta love cause it's just a thing that we, we love. It's. Hey, whatever they
0: <laughs> weird thing that they're into, they're going to have a bar that That's promotes cool. it. And some of them, some of the dive bars I saw, they have so many regulars that go on camping trips and stuff. Because you go in, and you have you know pictures of all these events that the regulars go on uh, just through the bar. That's the social thing of the of the uh, area. Yeah, it's so, funny. But anyway, what's your next, um, or I guess it's your last, unfortunately, major uh, favorite watering
1: hole the last uh <laughs> the last bar again is like one of those types of bars that i was talking about which is kind of a one-off most people i guarantee you anybody's stylist or whatever would not like it but it's on catalina and it's called uh luau larry's and oh it's, yeah it's, that is it's cool. not even like very <laughs> themed or anything but you're on catalina you're on an island to begin with and it's kind of i don't know if you've been to Catalina, um, Frank has, but I don't know if it, the listeners have. But uh, it's 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 really cool, and uh, it's really laid back, and it kind of has a spring bake feel with no kids, <laughs> like with no you know no high schoolers. So I mean, I mean no no uh, no college students. So I I I kind of uh, I kind of enjoy it, and
0: that place my, has good food too. Yeah,
1: and so my wife and I I go there when we go. I I propose to her there, and and. Um, uh, we ate at the Galleon, but we ended up at the at the Luau Larry's, and we've been there a few times. And
0: it's, it's kind of theme. They got the the no, shack they, and the birds.
1: They and do, and and um, but it's not like anything spectacular. It's just fun for me because uh, there's all the people. The locals are cra- you know, great, and you know, and they'll give you a hat, and and you know, I don't, I'm a I'm a sucker for drink monkeys. I don't know if you know what a drink <laughs> monkey is, but. The little Explained. plastic ornaments oh, yeah. that that go on the side of your drink and they're in the shape of monkeys. There, there's no other reason that well, they're even made. Actually,
0: <laughs> in Farrell's ice cream parlor for the zoo, they would stick the drink monkeys in the big but ice cream it's pile. it's
1: only for, <laughs> they're only biting off it. They're, they're using it as that being a drink, but they're not. It's So, it, yeah, so my wife has a hat that says Luau Larry's. It's got drink monkeys all across the top of it
12: from our last night there. So. Nice.
1: Anyways. It's fun. The people are, are cause there are interesting because there some locals and, you know, anytime you get a local where they're confined, it's just interesting to see why, yeah. how they got there and why they're there. Uh, you can overlook the, the harbor, which is very pretty and there's a casino oh, in the at corner night, yeah. and the night. It's all lit up and there's mm-hmm. a... A giant casino, which is not a—it's a dance hall. It's yeah. not—it's not a casino. They did call it a casino. Dance hall, movie, but it's hall, like sort of a and... round building, and it's got Art Deco uh, mosaics on the outside. Yeah. It's real pretty, and there's a whole boardwalk, and you wafting in is two different types of waffle cone places, you know, <laughs>
0: which is yeah. always a great if you thing. You just want to go and be laid back, yeah, and just kick back and not do. Uh, of course, I do have also on the island though the zip lining, but and other yeah. things, but still, mostly it's. Eating, drinking, and kicking back, so. and it
1: feels like a real island. Now I think they're and it is a real to, island. No, 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 no. I mean, but you know what I mean. Like you could say, okay, whatever. But they get it to there, and it's a real island. You can still see the shore, but it feels like whoa! I'm I'm
0: like on an exotic place or yeah, whatever. But yeah, the, yeah. the trees and the, yeah, it's nice. And it, it's just it's and it's the, some of the best diving and snorkeling. Oh yeah, in well California. definitely in
1: California. Yeah, it's super clear, and anyway. they have glass bottom boats and like. Fake, you know, semi-submersible, you know, not submarines, but the ones where you can sit underneath the water and the boat drives you around and, and that you kind can of stuff.
0: Relax and watch it all at uh, at Luau Lua man. Lairis. And I, I, yeah, it's fun. Very good. Yeah. Well, my last one uh, watering hole is the Edison, and and that one the entrance is down the Harlem Place Alley, which is near the corner of Main and Second in downtown LA. There's usually a line at the front door, and that's the only pl- When you first go there, that's probably the only way you'll find the place, even though there's signage. But uh, And then when you enter that, you go on a flight of stairs that takes you down into this area. Uh, the place is with gold and copper and red velvet, and it's all encompassed in the cement and brick of the first private power plant in LA. It's a, sort of a modern version of a 1920s speakeasy. And uh, old movie uh, palace. It's pretty extravagant and it's fun. It's mostly one big area in this place. But it's also broken up into smaller areas among it with the lounges and parlors. There's the Tesla lounge. There's the generator lounge and the lab. And uh, there's actually two bars there. The main one is great. It's beautiful or gaudy, depending on your taste, but it's wonderful. And you see that as you're coming down the stairs. Frank, I think it's beautiful and gaudy. (laughs) (laughs) There's, There's lavish curtains on the walls and dividing spaces. There's Victorian and modern furniture. And most of the time, the servers are dressed in 1920s garb. And there's projected images here and there. And then sometimes they have silent movies they'll play. Mostly, I mean, they don't play music with them, but they'll have them playing. Um, there's interesting lighting. And all through the place, there's remnants of the old power plant. Uh, there's the machinery or different relics and that spread all over. Some just originally where they were uh, placed in the power plant. They have live music and they have DJs uh, later on in the evening. And some days they have live shows and it's cool. They've got aerialists and they've got sort of, uh, uh, like a traditional burlesque act. Sort of like 20s style. Okay. They have a f- the balloon or the ball? <laughs> uh, I'm not, well, I didn't see that one, but uh, maybe a feather dancer, too. we got to go back. <laughs> they have a full selection uh, in the bar. And I've been told, I didn't try, but you can just order any drink and they'll make it for you, pretty yeah. much. But they have 12 of their own signature cocktails. And my favorite is the Dead Man's Hand. And that's a double rye whiskey with brown sugar uh, sarsaparilla, whiskey barrel bitters, and some orange zest. Uh, they also have um, uh, beers and wine, and they got four non alcoholic drinks. I bring that up because mostly that's what I'll be drinking. And there's the Natasha, the Amelie, the Palomito, and the Paper Moon. They're all interesting, they're all good. They have a, a girl sometimes walking around in a green fairy costume, and she's selling absinthe, of course, oh, there. Man. And uh, they got a comparatively big food menu. They got snacks like deviled eggs and uh, bacon maple beer nuts and truffle mac and cheese. They have got their salads and they got hot and cold sandwiches. And they also have uh, steaks and short ribs and fish and platters. It's a dinner place too. So they got great desserts. They got ice cream and they got chocolate chip cookies that are you know freshly baked there. They got other things like the Elvis, which is a pan-fried sandwich with peanut butter and banana on it oh. <laughs> and, and, nice. and and caramel so um, this place comes with some caveats. Uh, it can be crowded and it's kind of up to you to choose how you're gonna go to the place and it can be terrible or good. Um, you have to be dressed nice to get in. It's like collared shirts and street shoes for guys and uh, dresses for girls. They're not really specific. they got a guy at the door, but they're not picky. They're not looking for who's in and out. They're just making sure you're doing the dress code. Yeah. Now, if you're in 20s, uh, get up. They'll put you right to the front of the line. But I would avoid the whole thing and just get a dinner reservation. That is no line for you. you just go in. Or go real early for their uh, cocktail hour, which is 5 to 7. I'd go during the cocktail hour because you can walk around and see everything. And then, you know, just stay later till when it gets uh, more crowded. Somewhere around 7 or that, they'll start um, playing the live music or the DJ. Uh, it closes at 2 a.m., so it goes for a while. Uh, it's $25 minimum for food and drinks. You know, if you're having the dinner, but you
1: know you're not going there all the time. That's not that bad. Twenty five. You're going to have a drink and a, a nacho, and it's twenty five <laughs> bucks. So I really... would
0: uh, I would go to and look at their website and see their calendar there and see what's there. Pick what you want because only some of it is period music, and the rest is different kinds of music. But still, I like the jazz, so I'll look and see. Oh, like yeah. on a Friday, there's a jazz, so I'll come early and go see that. And then if you want to see the aerialists. You go then they play DJ music during that. And then later on, there's dancing. Uh, but mo- it's not period music. It's more like uh, oldies. And then after 10, it's just sort of like Free for whatever all. the <laughs> yeah. pop music is. Yeah. So the parking can be bad, but they have a valet parking on 2nd and Spring. And when they're doing, um, like, live events, I think it's $10 at the door, you know, for the... Um, the burlesque and the airless, and, that. So, and the website is edisondowntown.com, um, Edison is their website. It's a great place. You should at least go there once. It's more of a club, but uh, it's a lot of fun. It's good for like a birthday party. Yeah, there'll be some hipsters there, but you know, it's a price you pay. So, anyway. So those were our favorite watering holes. Of course, they were pretty limited geographically. So There's uh,
1: some great ones, you know, just all over the country. Yeah,
0: and all over the world for that matter. Yeah. And actually, why don't you guys out there post your favorites on our Facebook page so we can all try some great new spots. Absolutely.
13: A man could stoop to such a petty crime, but who drank my beer while I was in the rear? Such dealings call for action, I'm demanding satisfaction.
4: Presents A dual, ghoul, double, scream show. Scream number one. Frankenstein and the monster from hell. See the eeriest transplant in the history of horror. His brain came from a genius. His body from a killer. His soul came from hell. It's the newest and most frightening Frankenstein ever filmed. Scream number two. Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. The only man alive, feared by the walking dead. Born the night creatures and the Captain Kronos is here! Frankenstein and the monster from hell. Plus Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. All shot! In color, both rated R. Under-17, not admitted without
3: parent. Now scream!
12: It was during the last days of the prisoner exchange in Korea. I was there as they came through Freedom Gate, shattered, sick, and lame. And there in a Red Cross tent as the weary group rested, a soldier broke out a deck of cards. A look of hate crossed the tired face of one boy as he sprang up, knocking the cards to the ground, and as the cards lay around faces up, he picked up the ace and began. I hate cards, he said. The commies tried to use them to teach us their false doctrine." They told us the ace meant that there is but one God, the state. We knew that to be untrue, for we were religious boys. And the deuce meant that there were two great leaders, Lenin and Stalin. And we couldn't swallow that. And the tray stood for three religious superstitions that the Reds would soon destroy. The Catholic, the Protestant, and the Jewish. This black four, the soldier boy continued stood for the four corners of the earth where the hammer and sickle would soon reign supreme. There in that prison camp, we hoped it was alive. And this red five was the five points in their red star. Tears were streaming down the boy's face as he picked up the six. And this six, the commies told us, stood for the six and final wars that America had luckily won. The Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, World War I, and World War II. Now in this war, America would be destroyed. And the seven stood for our seventh foolish day, Sunday, which we wasted on our Lord. The eight stood for the eight hours every day we would have to spend learning to be progressives. The nine, for the cat-o'-nine-tails, lashed across our backs if we ever knelt to pray. The Ten was to remind us that our Ten Commandments were ten stupid rules that the capitalistic fools believed in. The Jack meant that Christ was a knave of uncertain birth, and the Queen, that Mary his mother, was an unvirtuous woman. And the King stood for our Lord God, whom the commies told us did not exist. A dream, a fake, a joke. The heart stood for Christ's blood, all shed in vain. The diamond signified the real precious jewel, the Communist Party. The club was the weapon of oppression with which they beat us, and the spade, a tool with which we would dig our own graves. This was the red deck of cards. Fellas, that's why I hate cards, the soldier boy said, as his buddies picked up the cards, tore them into little pieces, and with shining faces, walked toward a simple chapel in Korea.
3: night You're on your way to the top, and along the way you've always known just who you are.
10: Where you're going, you've always known it. Where you're going, it's make the low
12: Where you're going, it's exceptionally smooth, Miccolo. Where you're going, it's
5: Michelob. There's
12: no
4: place on earth. That I'd rather be Than out in the open Where it's all plain to see If it's gonna get
5: done It's up to you and to me There's no place that
4: I'd rather be It's for the mountains The mountains of bush It's for the mountains of
3: bush
2: Your thoughts you run through the wind and rain You chase the sun The trees are full there And the golden rain is clear And there's a flowing waterfall Where you taste the greatest beer of all Because it's the water That makes
4: Olympia beer
3: Here comes the silver bullet, so hang on to your hat Tearing up the water,
6: screaming this way and that. Skimming across the waves,
13: roaring out on the track The so cordless silver bullet, all in the path There's no slowing down with a silver bullet Here's to good friends Tonight is kind of special The beer we'll pour Must say something more somehow so tonight tonight, 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 let it be low and brown. Let it be low and brown. It's been so long. Hey, I'm glad to see you raise your glass. Here's to health and happiness. So tonight, tonight, tonight,
12: let it be all the best. When you're with good friends having good times, don't just have a beer, have a Low and Brown, because good friends and good times deserve the taste of a great beer, and there's really only one, Low and Brown. Tonight, let it
1: be Low and Brown. And so ends another podcast. But as usual, we
0: have one more thing, Frank. What is it? It was on May 14, 1804, that Lewis and Clark left from St. Louis to begin their famous expedition. In honor of this, we have the captain's duet from the musical Lewis and Clark Alive. So, as always, this is Uncle Frank. And this is Jimmy Sweets. See you next time.
11: I am, I am Captain Lewis, and I'm Captain of I am,
7: I am, I am, but I am a captain, I am, like I am too, a captain likewise too. I, Captain Lewis, am the worst. Oh, no, you're not, I whip them first. The captain Clark, I bow to you, but not need to bow, they hate you. They do? Half cocked oh, your firelocks. Handle all your cartridge. Prime. Oh, oh, shut your pants. Charge with cartridge. Oh, Draw your rammers. Oh, Ram down your cartridge. I am the captain of this crew. Oh, I'm a captain likewise, too. Oh, I'm the very, very worst. Oh, no, oh, you're not. I whip those baggage first. Oh, captain Clark, I bow to oh, you need to bow and seen your best dirty work. I am captain of this crew and I salute you. I salute you too, Captain Lewis, here's to
11: you. Yahoo! White House, where's Captain Clark?
12: I believe he stepped into the woods, sir.
11: I beg your pardon? Uh, to take care of business. Ah, well then you'll help me introduce the crew. Aye, aye, sir. Uh, but I'll go first. Sergeant Nathaniel Pryor. George
2: Gibson. George Shannon. John Shields. John. John Collins. Joseph Whitehouse at your service. Peter Fizer. Pierre Cousin.
12: Francois Laviche. Thomas Howard. Sergeant Floyd. Private Hugh McNeil.
1: Reuben Fields. Joseph Fields. John B. Thompson. Robert
2: Fraser. Richard Windsor. John Baptiste Page, Patrick Gass. John Ordway. William
1: Ben Bratton. The great John Coulter and Alexander Willard. William Werner Hunter, sir.
11: Silas Goodrich.
1: Herr John
7: Potts. Hugh Hall. Who's that large black man?
1: Mr.
2: York? Captain Clark's servant, Ben York. Ben? And...
3: That black dog?
2: Why, the only one in the crew that likes me. My
7: dog, Seaman. This <coughs> Seaman. My Seaman. The Frenchman. Oh, two sons Charbonneau. <coughs> our of Nimrod.
8: George
5: Drouillard.
4: And our
8: little baby Pomp. The Indian girl is Sacagawea. Charbonneau's wife. Pump was
3: christened John Baptiste Charbonneau.
7: Here comes Captain Clark. Ladies and gentlemen, Captain, captain
2: Lewis, Lewis and Captain Clark. I am, I am,
11: captain captain I am, I am Captain Lewis, Lewis and I'm Captain Clark. I am, I am, I am, a am, Clark,
7: Clark. am a I am Captain Clark, 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 and I am a captain likewise too. Likewise too. <laughs>